The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review TV shows that lasted only one season or less. And uh, it's been a bit. Yeah, welcome back. We were on a, a little bit of a hiatus there at the end of the year, just so we could catch up on other podcasts, mostly. <laughs> um, but we're back. We're back with uh, uh, our usual shtick of reviewing very, very, very bad TV shows. Well, very short-lived. Sometimes they're great. Sometimes they're not. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic for The Rap and Bloody Disgusting, and everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I write when I can. And I'm grateful when you do. <laughs> uh, and yeah, this is uh, this is a show where we look at uh, TV's biggest failures, because everyone's too busy talking about the hits to remember them. And uh, this episode of Cancel Too Soon is about a very heavily hyped show... That debuted to really good ratings mm. and then just vanished into the pop culture ether very quickly. And nowadays, if you bring it up, someone might say, did I see that once? <laughs> Which is the most reaction I've gotten to anybody about it when I said it was reviewing the show. I, I have talked to a few people about this and they remember seeing the promos for it because it was really heavily advertised. Uh, it came out in 2004, mm-hmm. uh, right around the time of the Olympics. And if you were watching the Olympics, you saw ads for this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were there. It was heavily promoted by the network. It was going to be the next uh, Family Guy. It was going to be the next Simpsons. It was going to be the next big comedic animated sitcom. And um, for a variety of reasons, it didn't work out. Some of which had nothing to do with the show, sadly. And we'll talk about that. It was weird. But uh, let's get into the odd and. Odd and very odd, odd uh, history of Father of the Pride. NBC Tuesday, get pumped up for an all new Father of the Pride. Careful with the steroids, they cause shrinkage down there. Worth it! And in the coming weeks, don't miss great guest stars like Danny DeVito. You know how many dolphins get their noses caught in these plastic rings every year? I just like to hold my beers with one finger. And Eddie Murphy as Donkey. You know how many times I had to hear, Donkey is an ass, Donkey is an ass. All right, I get it. They're synonyms. I hate synonyms, Larry. Father of the Pride, NBC Tuesday. So Father of the Pride is a sitcom about the talking lions who work with Siegfried and Roy. Yeah. Siegfried and Roy can't hear him talk. It's like that kind of a a shtick. But half the episode is about Siegfried and Roy doing funny Siegfried and Roy things. And half the episode is a sitcom (coughs) about uh, lions who live in this um, sort of private zoo of animals who work with Siegfried and Roy. Siegfried and Roy. The real Siegfried and Roy, too. Like, Mm. the the actual magicians. Not not playing themselves, but those characters. Yeah, they're not thinly veiled Siegfried. And they're not Mm. like... Rigfield and Shroy. It's, yeah, yeah. it's it's actual Siegfried and Roy endorsed by them. 
uh, I think they have executive producer credits, in mm-hmm. fact, uh, and they have that their show in Las Vegas, and they have their own private, not zoo, their own private animal enclosure. Yeah. And in this animal enclosure, it's like a suburb. Yeah, every animal it's like has its own house, yeah. and there's a bar, and mm-hmm. there's a PTA meeting, and mm-hmm. it's basically they school, have their own little, yeah. basically they have their own little uh, gated community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the protagonist of the show is the star of Siegfried and Roy's big Vegas show, a white lion, uh, who is played by John Goodman mm-hmm. uh, through CG animation, not just in a costume or nothing. Uh, and uh, he, plays, he plays Larry. Yeah, Larry the Lion, and. Uh, the, the characters are all very cliched sitcom characters. Yeah, so Larry Lynn is a big... This, it's the Honeymooners. Yeah. Uh, yeah he, he's the Ralph Cramden. Yeah. He's not as like cantankerous as Ralph Cramden. He's actually more of like... Uh, he's, he's more he's like John Goodman's like, character in Roseanne. Yeah, just working class boob. Yeah, he's a, uh, he's a nice guy. Uh, he's played by John Goodman. He's middle-aged. He's got a bit of a gut, which leads to some humor, I guess. Uh, and he is married to a very beautiful white lion, mm. uh, played by uh, Cheryl Hines, very funny actor. Mm. Uh, and they have two kids. Uh, one of them is named Sierra. She is a teenager. She's got like a little tiny cat mohawk. A little. Uh, she wears a collar. Yeah, like all, cute, all yeah. rebellious she's, and. She's and played punk. by uh, Daniel Harris from the Halloween movies. Yeah, great horror actor. Just a generally good actor. Really should have a bigger career yeah. in general than she does. But every time you I, see her in a horror movie, you know she brings it. She's great. Right. I think she retired when she had her kid. But oh, that, yeah, did she sure. really? Uh, well, she, well, anyway, uh, maybe, the, maybe not. Maybe she's just working less. But yeah. Uh, and then they have a young kid, and his his whole. Uh, uh, to distinguish them visually, it's not that he's smaller. He's also wearing a collar around his neck, like he's to prevent him from. He's got the cone, yeah, yeah, the cone. Uh, and he's played by Daryl Sabara from the Spy Kids movies. Mm. And then they have uh, a grandfather who used to be the star mm. of Siegfried and Roy's the, show. The, the now Cheryl it's Hines character's father. Uh, he's his name is Sarmati, and Sarmoti. Sarmoti. He is from. Africa, but he's played like an old Jewish dad because he's played by Carl Reiner. Carl Reiner, yeah. Uh, Carl Reiner really eats this role. He is, oh, yeah. He's so happy to be there. Uh, speaking of happy to be there, Luca, get off the counter. Oh, jeez. Come on, I know this is a cat yeah. show, but you're not keep, allowed to... Keep, keep talking about okay. the animal characters. There's also Snack, played oh, yeah. by the wonderful Orlando Jones. Yeah, uh, Larry's best friend is a gopher who is constantly getting into various schemes. Uh, in the first episode, he is working in black market shrimp he's importing shrimp into the into the compound um and uh yeah and then of course we have siegfried and roy uh siegfried fishbacher uh, is played by an actor named julian holloway um he's uh first off he's the blonde one you're gonna tell him apart that way uh-huh. most of the time because siegfried and roy are very similar characters in a lot of ways uh and uh he's the one who's more into the magic he does mm-hmm. the magic shows. And Roy Horn, played by David Herman, he does the animal training. Yeah. Now, if you're not familiar with Siegfried and Roy, which I suppose you might not yeah, be, they haven't to, been in the spotlight in a while. Put them into context a little bit. Yeah, they were uh, at one point one of the most successful magic acts in the world. Yeah. Right up there with David Copperfield and uh, and Penn and Teller. And Penn and Teller would hate them, that they're in the same camp as these people because they hated that kind of pageantry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they're the ones who sort of put that pageantry into magic shows. It was all well, about the, they the, weren't the first people to do that, but uh, they at, were very at, famous At for that it. level, yeah, they kind of okay. were, because, you know, they, they had just the, these big glittery outfits that showed off their chests and laser light shows. And That's a specific did... kind of pageantry. My point is yeah. pageantry was always part well, of Well, yeah, indeed. Okay. Yeah. The prestige, but, um, if you will. But they, yeah, they incorporated, they did a lot of these big, flashy magic shows, and they also incorporated uh, white tigers into their act. Mm-hmm. It was, 
It's sort of like uh, you can picture Croesus like watching a show that they put on. It, it seems like one of the <laughs> most ex- Roman emperor yeah, kind like, of thing. You know, like, like, we brought you a new show. Yeah. Emperor Nero. Well, one second, let me get my fiddle yeah, out. Yeah, N- Nero is fiddling <laughs> while Siegfried and Roy are playing. And indeed, they present themselves that way. They do private shows for big celebrities, and they're really concerned mm. with every little element of their opulence. And they became very, very rich. Mm. Uh, they have a, they're very, they're, they're very like childlike in their enthusiasm, like in their shows. In, in, and in their, the, in, yeah, and yeah. the, like in their in their presentation, their characters mm. that they present to the world, they have very thick uh, German accents. Mm. I think you're German, right? They're German. Yeah. Um, and um, I think, I think they're, bo- they're both. Are they German? both German? Yeah. Look that up. Uh, and uh, yeah, and this was a sitcom that was designed around their very odd little corner of the universe, where they had a long running Las mm. Vegas stage show where people would come in. You know, when you're not gambling or or buffeting or, <laughs> or enjoying yeah. or enjoying at the time free valet parking, which they don't have anymore, I'm mm. told. That was the whole point of Vegas. Is the free parking. That was the best part. You get yeah. free valet parking it was amazing. Uh Siegfried Fischbacher was born in uh, Rosenheim okay. in, in Bavaria and okay. Uwe Ludwig Horn, aka Roy Horn, uh-huh. was born in uh, Nordenham. So yeah, they're both German. And uh they they met actually and this is the plot of an episode they, they met on uh like a, a ship where like one of them was doing magic and the other one was working on the ship and like he was like yeah. trying to train animals and they just they hit it off and they created a whole long career together. Uh at the time of this show's premiere Siegfried and Roy, in a real tragedy on a variety of levels, were not on the Las Vegas stage. The reason why is because very shortly before the, the show premiered... The year prior to the premiere of Father of the Pride, so this is strange timing. Yeah. Uh, Roy was mauled by one of their tigers on stage. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of conflicting stories about what happened and why. Well, a but lot in, of a lot of people were making because these guys were kind of laughing stocks. Mm-hmm. They, they were jokes. They people were made fun of them. Everyone went to go see them. Everybody loved to see Siegfried and Roy. Yeah, but yeah, they were considered kind of jokes and people the, were not the entertainment community. It's like going to Branson, Missouri. There seems like yeah. such a, a low tier of actual entertainment. Uh, so when uh, when Roy was tragically mauled on on stage, a lot of comedians and the type were like quick to jump on. Oh well, he was just being sort of dumb with the tigers because what mm-hmm. a dumb idea to put tigers in. Yeah, your like hat. this was inevitable. Yeah. Was the was the popular joke? Yeah, like this yeah. this had to happen eventually. And indeed, mm-hmm. a lot of people who do work with dangerous animals do eventually fall prey to that. Mm-hmm. Look at um, um, crocodile hunter. Yeah, 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 yeah. He he died, and it was a tragedy as well. Mm. Um, however, or, or Timothy Treadwell, the Grizzly Man. Yeah. Mm. Oh well, he, was, he wasn't he a professional. Was a professional. He wasn't yeah. a professional. Was more, I'm, not gonna, he, I'm not going to condone that. He was an enthusiast. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Roy didn't die. Mm. Uh, he was seriously injured, um, and on top of it all, he had a stroke at the same time. Now. Here's one thing that I think is kind of interesting about this. And again, reports vary. Some people who yeah. worked with them said they were simply not being as careful as they should have been. And a tiger did what a tiger does. Uh, and Roy's story was the tiger knew I was having an, a, a stroke and tried to take me off the stage and protect me. Mm-hmm. I do not know the real story. But what I do know is this. I do think personally, and this might be me being a cockeyed optimist. 
it's pretty cool of Roy to say to not blame the tiger. Yeah, and uh, they appeared on stage with the tiger. There's been some rumors that it wasn't the real tiger, whatever. Some but other the, tiger. The point is, they Roy, tried to they tried to they tried to save the tiger's reputation. Yeah, yeah, they, they were speaking out in favor of the tiger. The, the uh, Siegfried and Roy are both still alive, but yeah, since that incident, they haven't performed. Uh, but well, they, they, except for that one show, but yeah, it, yeah, except yeah, they did come back on stage and yeah. uh, for that sort of a farewell show. Um, but they did live on in this bizarre, incredibly, incredibly DreamWorks animated <laughs> program, which yeah. was conceived of by Katzenberg. So it was one of the honchos over at DreamWorks. And boy, howdy, does it feel like a DreamWorks production. Yeah. Jeffrey Katzenberg was a big part of uh, DreamWorks. He was working at Walt Disney and he he's, was he's helping. Yeah. He's the K in SKG and the, yeah. the, the DreamWorks. Well, I'm just like Jeffrey Katzenberg helped bring us the part of the Disney Renaissance. He was partially yeah. responsible for the the Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Bees, mm. The Lion King. Uh, and then when he moved to DreamWorks Animation, he helped oversee films like Shrek, which mm. was a huge game changer when it first came out. Yeah. First film ever to win Best Animated Feature uh, at the Academy Awards. Mm. Yeah, he was behind the Madagascar movies, Kung Fu Panda, How to Train Your Dragon. Big deal. So mm. Jeffrey Katzenberg is behind this. And it was also uh, executive produced by Jonathan Groff, uh, who at the time wasn't a big name in television. He'd worked on the TV series Ed. Okay. Uh, and eventually he would go on to work on some films that, you know, you might have heard of. Andy Barker, P.I., The Jake Effect. Mm-hmm. But uh, more recently, he's he's the producer of Blackish, which is, of course, a big oh, hit. Oh, let's see. Okay. So he went on to quite a mm-hmm. career afterwards. Um, again, the show was heavily promoted, even though it's a bit of ir- irony with the whole timing of it all with Siegfried and Roy. Because this is a very warm, sweet story about Siegfried and Roy as lovable goofballs. Mm. And honestly, cool of them to to look like idiots. Because the show makes them look like idiots. I actually like their characters a lot, but they look like idiots. It's really Mm. cool of them to be okay with that. And... Then, of course, the, the various animals that they work with who live a more conventional sitcom life. It's a very yeah. odd situation in a lot of ways. It would be like, hey, we're going to do a sitcom and it's Roseanne, but half of it's going to be about Roseanne, Roseanne's family. And the other half is going to be about the weird godlike people who own their town <laughs> and control their fate. And don't interact with them in any kind of meaningful way. Yeah. Like, there are a few episodes where like Siegfried and Roy uh, take the, t- the lion's like on tour or something yeah or they like, like get, we, we or they get a, them a gift like there's yeah. one episode where like they give the tigers a new television so they know that the tigers are what? kind of anthropomorphic <laughs> they just can't speak their language i guess the, there's one episode where they have to take larry uh to i think they're it's the one where they're going to barbara streisand's house <laughs> they're taking larry and, on, and they have to take larry on cool tour and, after hours partying and, and yeah. larry's he's a lion he doesn't want to go to a human party is it it's kind of embarrassing but the, yeah he's like oh it's a good thing i'm finally home we're going to barbara streisand's house they seek freedom roy he like puts his party hat back on don't wait up. It just sort of like <laughs> saunters out the door. Um, there's actually here's the weird thing about Follow Their Pride. It's this weird kind of jumble of a show mm. where there are things I really like about it, mm. and there are things that I don't like about it, and things that I just think are just kind of off because of the timing. And first off, let's just talk about the animation, which is pretty good for CG animation in the early 2000s on it's, TV it's but not great yeah. now it's excellent early 2000s TV animation yeah. uh, CGI um, 
I really wish they had just hand hand drawn it. I know because it's aged really bad. It's aged badly. The I don't mind the sort of wonky uh, mouth movements or a little bit like the feet don't quite come in contact with the ground. I kind can of live animation. with all of that. It's it's the dead eyes. The yeah. the characters don't aren't expressive enough, which means even though the actors are actually putting a lot into it, and you know Cheryl Hines, John Goodman, Carl Reiner, these are really talented actors. John Goodman is engaged, yeah. And when John yeah. Goodman is engaged, you get gold. He is mm. one of the best actors, yeah. Just yeah, period. Yeah. He really is. So I'm a they're, huge John Goodman they're fan. in there. They're really selling it. They really are. You know, they understand their characters. They understand the comic timing of the writing. They're really there, but to see the really, really expressive voices come out of these kind of dead-eyed figures mm. deadens the comedy a little bit. What helps it a little bit compared mm. to some of the other, like, we haven't done a lot <coughs> of uh, failed CG primetime mm. shows. And we did uh, Game Over. That was the one I was going to yeah. bring up. Game Over was a show we did like a year or two ago, uh, and it was a very short-lived animated series on UPN that was about what video game characters do when you're not playing. And, mm. you know, playing the video game is treated as like their nine-to-five day job. And it, and it was another sitcom yeah. with extraordinary not, characters. Again, yeah. actually pretty good premise, just mm. bad writing. But the other thing that really hurt it was that was like 90s-era CG primetime. It was, and it was really, really ugly. really bad. But it was also murky and ill-defined <laughs> and at the very least father of the pride yeah. is bright and what i ended up falling into was i ended up looking at father of the pride not like not very good cgi mm. but better than usual hanna barbera <laughs> you know the kind of limited animation look yeah, where yeah. we're relying a lot on the writing to carry this and like a couple of weird images well, like that that w- mm. that once I fell into that perspective it started becoming okay. Yeah. And you you mentioned Family Guy and The Simpsons and I think Father of the Pride um it doesn't reach that level of just sort of like absurd hilarity. No. But it's I think it's fair to say that it's in the same camp. Like oh, yeah. it, it's approaching that kind of writing. It's and it, an and adjunct. If you were writing and, about those shows yeah. at some point, you would need to at least mention and shows like Father of the Pride were exactly, doing it too. Exactly. Yeah. And um and I think that even though, yeah, the, the animation dated badly, it was good looking at the time yeah. because they had Katzenberg money behind it. Like, yeah. Katzenberg really was clearly putting a lot into this. Everybody's selling this. Yeah. It actually functions surprisingly well. The, the things that actually don't work about the show uh, come from their insistence on keeping it really conventionally sitcom-ish. Yeah. Like, I think if they had played with the peculiarity of the, the premise a little bit more, it would have been a much better show, as they do sometimes. Particularly, when this show gets weird, mm. every once in a while, it, get, it gets a little... It, or, or grim, or, or, or meta, yeah, or something. Yeah, like, yeah. whenever like they start playing with something that only this show could do, then it's you start seeing a little sparkle. Mm. The sitcom stuff varies from fine... To really, really bad and frankly <laughs> kind of offensive, uh, to actually pretty sharply written. There's some good dialogue, yeah, sprinkled throughout this entire show. Mm-hmm. Just good, witty bon mots from Goodman in particular. Mm-hmm. Reiner gets a few. There's a line you've been quoting from Siegfried and Roy ever since you saw it, mm-hmm. which is, uh, I am traveling into the future to scowl at you. Long pause. I have arrived. Scout. Yeah. <laughs> that's a funny joke. Yeah. That's a funny joke. There's some we- that's a, and that's a well, weird a- line that you could kind of only get Siegfried and like Bart Simpson couldn't do that mm. joke. Siegfried and Roy mm. as these lovable weird scamps whose 
the English is not their first language. They're not making fun of their English language. They just mm. have an odd cadence. Yeah. Like, they're just, their delivery is very distinct. And it, they're really funny. Like, I kind of <laughs> fell in love with Siegfried and Roy because mm. of this show. I didn't have a lot of interest in Siegfried and Roy. I knew who they were. I, uh-huh. Yeah, I'm sure I made some Siegfried and Roy mm-hmm. jokes back in the day. But, like, generally speaking, I didn't have any interest. And now mm. I'm watching the show, I'm like, I like mm. Siegfried and Roy. Yeah. <laughs> I like them a lot. Yeah, and, and they throw off these wonderful things. Like, uh, like um, I think Roy does something, like, really spectacular, like a magic thing on stage. And, and Siegfried tries to do it. He's like, Poof, ah, it didn't work. Ah, magic, you fickle bitch. <laughs> What's, uh, every time they walk in somewhere, they have like a thing on their phone that plays their theme song. Mm. Sacred and Roy! <laughs> and they press a beep. Yeah. Like, that's, they're funny. They're funny characters. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's, I think my favorite Siegfried and Roy. you're down a million dollars. I'm not going back to Canada. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about every episode, but I think yeah. my favorite Siegfried and Roy bit is actually kind of a stupid episode but it's one where they get a craving for <laughs> they get the for, munchies yeah they get the munchies they're just up late at night they're not smoking pot or they just up late at night and they see a commercial for 7-Eleven and they decide to go get a big gulp and but this turns into a thing well, what I, I love is that Siegfried and Roy live outside of reality yeah. in this show like they, they don't engage with the regular worlds the same way other people do because they're living in this magical enclave with lions yeah and they've completely lost any kind of semblance of what the real world does. There's an episode where they have they uh, go to their favorite like chain restaurant, and it's been turned into a B and B, and they don't understand that concept of like <laughs> honesty and authenticity because a they're Siegfried and Roy, they live in this enclave. It's also Las Vegas, yeah, where reality is kind of warped anyway. So they start a protest to try to get this really nice old lady mm. to be more Vegas. Yeah, and, like it's a weird, it's a weird joke. But my favorite one is the Seven Eleven one because mm. they go to Seven Eleven, and then the entire episode, they're just at 7-Eleven, <laughs> trying to figure out how 7-Elevens work. Yeah. Oh, look, a security camera. Here's a crime you cannot stop. He lifts his shirt. I stole a six-pack. <laughs> oh, God. Um, Sig- was it Siegfried or Roy? One of them is trying to uh, fix the, the big gulp machine, and when mm-hmm. they finally do, somehow they've installed lasers, and it plays the Siegfried and Roy <laughs> theme song, and like fills the whole room with mist. Meanwhile, the other one is... Um, I think it's Siegfried. Siegfried like goes up to the cashier, mm-hmm. and the oh. cashier is having is having trouble with his girlfriend, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Oh, my girlfriend's breaking up with me, but I can't leave. I will take care of the Seven Eleven for you." Mm-hmm. And he's just like, "Do you know how to work at the cash register? Is it impossible?" No, that is too bad. For I am the master of the impossible. Mm-hmm. That's a funny joke. <laughs> That's just a funny joke. Damn it. Damn you, Siegfried and Roy, for being so funny. Yeah. Um. But the rest of it's just okay. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about. Well, did you watch? Did you watch uh, the original pilot, or did you watch the reworked pilot? I think I watched the reworked pilot. Did you, does it have Kelsey Grammer in it? It does. Okay, the original pilot is so much better than the reworked pilot. Oh darn! Okay. It's really weird because what happened was they shot up. They did a pilot episode for the show. Mm. And then for whatever reason, they did that thing where they don't want to air the pilot first, even though the pilot sets up the entire series. Uh, not, not enough. It does, but it, well, it, enough when they re, when they reworked the pilot, it was told in a flashback structure, so it didn't really matter. They pulled a menagerie, if you're familiar mm, with Star mm. Trek, where they took the idea of the original pilot, and, added a new framing device, and they mm. showed it later on in the series, which is not the worst thing ever. But frankly, I don't think the additions helped. Mm. But in the original pilot, we see that uh, they're all working for Siegfried and Roy, 
Uh, Larry's father-in-law is the star lion in the attraction. Uh, there is an accident on stage, and the lion accidentally threatens Dick Cheney, uh, who is mm. a big fan, apparently. And there's a weird like, recurring gag where he like, keeps he, popping up in Siegfried and Roy's like hotel. And there's just like, he's a nice guy, but get over it. <laughs> like, he's coming awesome. to ten shows a week. It's weird. <laughs> Which is hilarious because this is 2004. Yeah, so we already know Dick Cheney's kind of a monster. Um, so, uh, uh, so the the father-in-law line is moved in with Larry's family, and Larry is is selected as the new star lion after a couple of shenanigans when he was trying to get his father-in-law the job back so he'd move out. Mm. Um, and then he has to tell his father-in-law that he's the new star attraction. They have a moment where he's just like. Eh, I knew I had to retire sometime. I still hate you, though. And he's like, <laughs> cool. And then that's basically the episode. We introduce all the characters, etc. Later on in the season, that show would be reversed where Larry has stage fright. Mm. And the idea was Siegfried and Roy take him to Kelsey Grammer's house because he's the only psychologist they know. Even though he just played one on TV. And he keeps telling them, like, you know, it's Mm. like, I'm sorry, I don't actually know anything. The the caricaturization on the real life celebrities is bad. It's not great. Uh, And especially on Kelsey Grammer, it looks like his his whole face has been pinched. Yeah. I mean, now somebody like. He plays himself. Kudos for that. Someone like like Barbara Streisand shows up. She doesn't play herself. No. They have a sound alike playing Barbara Streisand, but she's been characterized so much. Yeah, she's a cartoon. She, she's yeah. easy to do. Yeah. Um, uh, and we so many different like yeah. joke versions of Barbara Streisand. Yeah, exactly. Capital, not Capital Critters. What was that <laughs> puppet show? I saw her on, on a puppet oh, show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, same with Dick Cheney. I think he's like a cartoony enough that they can get away yeah. with that. You've yeah. seen so many political cartoons. It makes sense. Exactly. Uh, Kelsey Grammer, yeah, you don't really see caricatures of Kelsey Grammer. Because too Kelsey often. Grammer just kind of looks mm. like an older, bald guy. Yeah. Like he doesn't really read as mm. Kelsey Grammer. He doesn't have like a costume or a well, particular look. He's just. Kind of a Kelsey Grammer. I mean, if you're an artist, you can do a caricature of anybody. But yeah, if you're doing it in CG, you're really limited. So, mm. uh, but yeah, they Siegfried and Roy take Larry to Kelsey Grammer to psychoanalyze him, and they get distracted being psychoanalyzed by Kelsey Grammer. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Larry wanders into the kitchen where Kelsey Grammer's cat actually is a, like an animal psychologist, but a really bitter one. Who yeah. insults everybody. It's kind of putting the hat on a hat. Like, there's too many le- there's too many levels to that. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I accept that a cat is an asshole. I've I, lived with cats. No, no, but, I accept that a cat is an yeah. asshole. But the fact that Larry is stage right, we take Larry to a psychologist. The mm. psychologist isn't a real psychologist, but his cat is a real psychologist. Well, you, you want the and animals a, to interact. So yeah. there's an animal in the house there's, that there's, Larry can interact There's with. just a couple of different lines. This is not very mm. clean. And then on top of it all... The flashbacks, it's not like they have flashbacks <laughs> specifically designed for the episode where we learn about like Larry's upbringing or anything like that. They're all back to the pilot, and the pilot is very linear and is full of stuff that has nothing to do with anything. Mm-hmm. Like I remember there was this one episode of The Simpsons where Lisa saw Into the Future, and oh, right. it was yeah. the one where, but it wasn't the one where she got married, it was the one where she became president. Right. And, or I think maybe Bart saw this one, but someone like, looked into the future. Well, we've, we've inherited quite a financial crunch from President Trump. I remember that episode <laughs> well. But uh, also in the middle mm-hmm. of that episode, uh, Homer decides to look for Lin- Abraham Lincoln's lost buried treasure at the mm-hmm. White House. And at the end of the flash forward, I think this is Bart one, Bart looks at this 
you know, the mm. person who was telling his fortune. And he was just like, okay, I guess I've learned a valuable lesson about learning my, from my sister, but what was that whole bit about dad hunting for Lincoln's lost treasure? I don't know. I guess the fates thought the episode, thought the story needed some padding. <laughs> <laughs> the fates. That's like, really you know, like there, but the thing is that episode was designed to work around that framing device. And this mm. one isn't. And so it just feels like we're cutting the meat out of a pilot episode mm. and wrapping a really overly elaborate framing device around it. So it doesn't mm. really work. At the end of the episode, they find out the reason why Larry has stage fright is because he actually wants to be a star, but he's ashamed that he wants to be a star. They, well, they because to supplant his father-in-law to get that job. Yeah, which is actually pretty deep psychology there's like a couple of different levels on that Mm -hmm. so the fear of fame and how it makes you want to pursue fame but also want to reject it simultaneously and how that's preventing you from actually getting what you want because you can't admit to what you want i was actually watching i'm like okay yeah Yeah, you thought that one out there's a a little bit of wisdom it's smart right it's a weirdly smart show i think segments i think it's a smart conclusion i don't think it's a smart episode to get there but Mm. the conclusion was Surprisingly insightful into the character's well, psyche, I, and, and good I for think, them. I think it was actually kind of a clever framing device because we had the two uh, parallel. Um, because you know, Siegfried and Roy run; they run parallel with the animal world. Mm-hmm. We had two similar stories going on simultaneously, where one was actually the meat of the episode, which is about the talking animals, mm-hmm. and the the comedic side plot was Siegfried and Roy. Mm-hmm. And indeed, they are just sort of they're always the the B story. Except for, oh, I dropped anything. Drop? Little coin thing. Okay. Don't don't uh, do that. But yeah, there was. Uh, I think there's only one episode there spe- that's specifically about Siegfried and Roy. Otherwise, they're the B story in every episode. Yeah, there's one episode where they make a movie about their yeah. own lives where they're the A story, but usually they're just the, mm. the wacky thing to cut to every once in a while. Mm. Uh, the second episode, and this is the first one. To, was this the first one here? No, they're all aired out of order. But the second episode yeah. was a. As and I, it was and supposed I saw to be. them all out of order. So yeah, this is. I'm a, I, I'm a little. I off. watched the DVD. The DVD mm. actually has them in order mm. of when they were supposed to air. So I saw the original pilot on the right. second episode. So we'll go in that order because it makes a little bit more sense. Uh, the second episode was called Sarmodi Moves In. And this is the one where he actually moves into the house. Mm. And it's all about them just living with their grump of a grandpa. And. One of the things that he brings with him is a is a zebra, it's and a, it's a zebra rug, and it's the last animal he killed before he came to America. Mm. So he had it stuffed, and it's brought with him, and it's kind of ghoulish and weird. And he like talks to it and stuff, and everyone is kind of freaked out by it. <laughs> Keep in mind, there are zebras that live in their neighborhood. Yeah. yeah, and every once in a while, they do talk about the fact that they're they're predators and prey living side by side and every once in a while the lions will eat somebody yeah and it's a thing <laughs> sometimes I, I, I it's love, awkward sometimes it's fine I, lo- I love how wonderfully grim that is because uh, the plot of the episode is uh they spill something on the rug and uh the cheryl hines character gets so angry that this thing has been so important to her father and you know she he, hasn't she, yeah. yeah and yeah she's been neglected but he still cares about the rug that she ends up in, in, in a fit of rage, wrecking the rug, and then they realize, oh crap, we have to, f- we have to find a new zebra rug. Where are we going to get it? Well, there's a zebra at the bar. <laughs> they sort of look up yeah. over their drinks and see a zebra sitting at the bar. It's like, oh well, let's just kill him. We could kill that zebra, mm-hmm. and it would be fine. Uh, and they, they can't do it. They're too. They're a little too. Initially, they were, mm-hmm. and then they get to know him a little too well, and he starts hanging out too much, and they just can't do it. But they almost do. And again, <laughs> that's the kind of thing you can't do on Roseanne, mm. where like 
if Roseanne's dad came over and he brought like the last person he murdered before he came to America stuffed and put him on the floor well, and then they accidentally destroyed that person and then they had to kill someone who looked kind of like that guy in order to like fool dad into thinking his like you can't do that on any other show right right so That's cause I like appreciate that they're leaning into it. That's well, weird. I, I always like uh, shows about a- anthropomorphic animal people where they behave kind of like animals. Like there's a really wonderful bit in um, it's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Yeah, where uh, a, a huge chunk of that special is, has nothing to do with Halloween. Halloween at all. It's uh, the, the World War One flying ace. Yeah, it's so weird. And he go and he goes up to Schroeder, and Schroeder starts playing you know some old war tunes and. The World War One flying ace Snoopy is getting really into it, and then he starts playing like Liebestrom, something really sad, and, <laughs> and he leans over the piano and starts crying and crying and crying, and then in the midst of his crying, he just uh, leans back and howls like a dog. It's like, yeah. oh! And Still he, a dog! And then he, he covers his mouth and looks really embarrassed. Oh, shit, I did a dog thing. <laughs> God. Um, it's like, you read Garfield now? Garfield doesn't do cat stuff anymore. It's just uh, Garfield now. He's yeah, I know. Just, just weird mutant human, but... Uh, I appreciate Father of the Pride because they always had an eye on their animal nature. And a lot of the, the gags and sort of the dark humor came from the fact that they were indeed animals. Mm. And they were predator predators that lived among prey. Yeah, uh, There's a, a gag I really liked where Larry goes on a diet. And he gets really, really hungry. And you, you've seen this gag in cartoons a hundred times where they look at something and it turns into food. It's like, oh, and he looks at an end table and it turns into a giant burger. It's like, oh, no, that's not a burger. I can't look. He looks at a lamp and it turns into a chicken leg. Oh, no, I can't look. He looks out the window and there's a gazelle outside and it shimmers and it's still a gazelle. Because it's just it's like, one of his neighbors. Because that's his food. That's <laughs> <laughs> just food. Funny guy. Mm, yeah, Funny yeah. guy. Uh, the next episode uh, in order is called Catnip and Trust. Mm. Now, I actually like this episode as it pertains to other sitcoms, not so much as itself. Because mm-hmm. there's all there's the drug episode. There's always the drug yeah. episode, and the, John Mulaney has a bit about this about how there's always a drug episode of a sitcom, and there's always like a, a freeze frame of someone holding up a joint. Mm. And the joint is held in like the most unnatural way ever, so, so you can, get a good look at it. Hold like, it right toward the like, camera. Oh my god, someone's doing drugs. We're all going to hell. Like it's mm. going to be the worst episode ever. It's mm. going to be really preachy, yeah. and we're going to make a big deal, and it's oh, no, not Liz- going to be funny. Elizabeth Berkeley is taking speed. And again, this whole like, this whole like <laughs> anti-drug mentality. Not that you can't be anti-drugs mm. or anything like that. Like I, I can mm. handle that. But it was handled in a very specific way because they were basically trying to appeal mm. to the American government, which is doing their whole big war well, on drugs in the late it, 80s and early 90s. It, it's not that they were trying to appeal. It's that they were required by law to do it. Yeah. There were some... Oh, uh, I was getting that. Yeah, yeah. There, there was. There were actually some uh, like actual statutes put into place by uh, um, the FCC about what sort of content needed to be in children's programming. Mm-hmm. And there was a... I forgot the actual number, but there was actual an actual percentage of the show needed to be devoted to purely educational content. Yeah. And you and I grew up during the era of, uh, like, 1980s cartoons when... Like you'd watch G.I. Joe and there'd be these, you know, all this war cartoons of people blasting each other away and murdering each other, but we'll get you next time and be sure to buy this playset. And then the episode would end, and then they'd have a and here's a little tip for you, you kids at home. If you ever see fall felled power lines, don't jump your bike over it. You know, if you ever see it <laughs> 
if you, if you ever see a, a, a really skeevy guy selling drugs on the corner, don't jump your bike over him. You know, it was always... <laughs> Always bike related, yeah. Hey, I, and then they would always say something to the effect of at the end, "Thanks, Duke. Now we know." And knowing is half the battle. Yeah. My favorite so, one so they, though was they branded those little lessons because they were required by law to have a percentage of the show be educational. What was weird is that for whatever reason, I always accepted it when GI Joe did that because in mm. my head, GI Joe was a government the, organization. Okay, so they, and, <laughs> they'd have to. Listen to the government they, anyway. Well, they have to do some public service every once in a while. Like, mm. listen, you got the cool costumes. Mm. You know, you're saving the world every day. People know who you are. You have a responsibility to be a good role model. So you're going to do this series of PSAs. It's kind of like that whole bit with Captain America and Spider-Man Homecoming. And how he did all those videos. Oh, yeah. It's like, so you're, high in, so you're in detention. Yeah. yeah. Like that kind of thing. Yeah. So for me, that was always J.J. doing that. <coughs> the one that broke my brain was when He-Man did it. Because mm. He-Man... Yeah, he was a prince, but they didn't have TV. So well, like, he lives in the Dark Ages. What are you gonna yeah, do? Well, he was on an alien planet, and but what happened was it would be like. But it was the thing is, GI Joe never bothered to connect it to the episode. It was always just yeah. some random thing. He then did the most half-hearted bullshit <laughs> to try to connect it to the episode. So the episode itself seemed educational. Mm. Where they'll do an episode in which they fight a giant lava monster or something, and at one point Orko doesn't know what to do, and then he casts a spell and he saves him. And then at the end, there would be like four seconds in the episode we Orko not knowing what to do. And then at the end of the episode, he might say, you know, kids, in the night's episode, Orca didn't know what to do. You know, when you have a trouble deciding what to do with something, maybe you should talk to your parents. Thanks. Yeah, like, yeah. that was it. That was, that was, that was enough. But, the government was fooled. Anyway, the, that, that's a tangent. We could do a whole episode just on those ed- educational But anyway, PSA. this is their drug episode. But yeah, all, yeah, most sitcoms, especially the ones that appealed to kids, uh, had to have like a... And this wasn't just, you know, the writers tooting their own horns or going for Emmys. They, they were required by law to have sort of a message episode. And there was frequently a an anti-drug PSA episode. Uh, it was really awkward when they had like the Stranger Danger episodes because mm-hmm. they actually had to like write sexual criminals into these like lighthearted oh, kids so shows. Weird. It was really like. The, Did you have to write about that? Was yeah, there some other topic you could that, have chosen? That different strokes episode with the, with the the child molester is just Ooh. awful. It's, there was it's a Mister Belvedere about yeah. that as yeah, well yeah, that yeah, no yeah. one talks about. It was just as awkward. Mm. Like yeah. Yeah, you can. You can. Their, their heart, even their their hearts, aren't even in the right place because they're not writing from their heart. They're writing for le- because they're legally obligated. But I, yeah, you can tell that this episode of Father of the Pride is kind of sending that up a little bit because it is a drug episode. They find catnip. Isn't that funny? Yeah. In uh, just like in the movie, C- Cats. Uh, Sierra is the daughter's name in Sierra's room. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they think because Sierra was. Uh, <coughs> behaving sort of suspiciously when they walked in mm. the other night mm. that Sierra must be doing catnip mm. and so they're trying to find out where she got the catnip they go to a rave uh, she's not there mm. turns out Sierra says she wasn't doing the catnip she was acting suspicious because she was with her much older boyfriend who has kids who has yeah. kids and her parents are just like well that's Worse, yeah. but we're still going to talk about the cat. And they never really address mm. the fact that she's dating someone who's well, apparently old enough to be her, yeah. I don't know, dad or at least significantly he, older brother. He, like, here, here's the here's the wonderful thing about something like Father of the Pride, and uh, this is uh, I've heard the Futurama writers talk about this. Yeah, you can have your characters do 
really irresponsible, downright morally reprehensible things if they're not people. Yeah. Uh, like so, a robot can do anything. Yeah, like there, there's an episode of uh, a Futurama where the, uh, through l- a long series of machinations, Bender ended up on TV, like on a TV screen, like holding a bottle of whiskey in his mouth, firing two guns simultaneously. <laughs> and I listened to the commentary and they said, we, we actually wouldn't be permitted to do that with a human character, but because he's a robot, it's okay. Yeah. Which is weird. Because they're learning to be human or whatever. Uh, or, well, just they're not human. Well, you know what they're I mean? Like, you know, there's, a that, there's that level of distance yeah, you can yeah. chalk so, it up to. So a human wouldn't I'm, do that. I'm, I'm a little bit more forgiving when the characters are complete assholes or do irresponsible, strange things in the show because they're not people. To an extent, I 100% agree. Like, you, when they Sigrid eat another Roy character, yeah. I'm fine with that because they're animals. They're just yeah. doing, there's a couple episodes later on where they tackle some other real world issues, which I think mm. they just fumble it so bad I couldn't get behind yeah. it. It's an episode with some turkeys, which is just oh, a bad episode of television. But it, it's fine because they're just animals. No, I don't. I disagree with that one. We'll talk about that. <laughs> in a but that's one example. Mm. Here, I'm fine with it. And so, when uh, Larry and what's his wife's name, Sierra's the daughter. Which yeah. one's uh, oh, uh, uh, Kate? Kate. Mm. When Larry and Kate accidentally do the catnip just before... Yeah, they go to the, the rave, they get some sausages at the rave, and it turns out they're catnip sausages. Yeah. They're edib- and, edibles. And of course, they're only just starting to sink in, like, oh god, we are so high. Mm. When and, and of course, they both have a past of drug use. Well, he, Larry is, does in yeah, particular, but yeah. yeah. And But the thing is that, that happen, they happen to be high just when um, like a guidance counselor comes in because Sierra might get into a fancy private school mm. that they really didn't want to screw up. You know where this is going. This would go the mm. same way in a home improvement episode mm. or a mad about you. Any episode yeah. of any sitcom would run hard. the exact same way. It was but it's kind of funny. It was hard for me to take it seriously because of the Andy Kaufman prank. <laughs> if you remember in Man on the Moon, it's like, yeah. oh, and here's a sketch, and they've all taken a little bit of weed, and Andy Kaufman like objects. The joke is that he objected so strenuously that he stopped the sketch and yelled at the audience about how bad the the TV station was. Yeah, and about like, what he and said. And the was joke like, was going to be after the commercial, he's going to come back and say that was part of the act. And he sent a, did an additional send up saying, and they wanted me to say that this was all a joke and that was sort of the gag. But they're lying! They're lying! It was all real! I'm so outraged, genuinely. <laughs> God bless you, Andy Kaufman. <laughs> what a comic genius. Father of the Pride doesn't get to that <coughs> point, but it's a reasonably okay well, episode of television. No, nobody gets to Andy Kaufman, but come on. All right, uh, the next one is uh, What's Black, White, and Depressed All Over? Uh, this is the panda episode, where they have a female panda who's living uh, in Siegfried and Roy's uh, zoo, and they decided to get a male panda in order to help propagate the species. It's in the news all the time. The, the, They're yeah, trying the, to save pandas. The public joke about the pandas is that they, they won't mate. Yeah. You can get put two pandas together, but they won't just have sex. They'll just sort of hang around. Yeah. They're very they're very choosy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so they decide to play that up as a joke where there's a female panda. and the played, new Played by Lisa Kudrow. Yeah. And a male panda. Played uh, by Andy comes, Richter. They, they, the male panda comes in. Turns out the male panda is actually just from New York. Mm. Um, and uh, he doesn't like the panda. He's actually in love with Larry's wife. Well, she's she's really kind to him. He mistakes that for flirting, and he falls in love with her. Yeah. Know? On on the surface, that actually sounds like a funny idea for a show. The problem mm. is that I think this episode makes it kind of depressing. Like, Lisa Kudrow just is really excited to meet someone who's like, 
her species so that she could mate with them. <laughs> per- perhaps, and, yeah. and he and he and she thinks it's going really, really well, and he treats her like shit. And then the end of the episode is a real bummer because the end of the episode, here's the lesson that they learn. <laughs> so you, you, you're, you're nobody you're likes you have. Nobody, yeah, you're awful, nobody likes yeah. you. Nobody likes you. No one else would ever have like you. Carl so Reiner settle. Gets, yeah, Carl, Carl Reiner gets to give this speech saying, I'm gonna settle, yeah, I'm gonna settle this once and for all. It would be one thing if there you're, was you're all each other had. This is really depressing. But this is all you got, so go for it. I wish the show hadn't treated that like a like a positive ending because it's really depressing. Actually, I, I think it was you know wry and cynical about it. I, I, but the show isn't that wry and cynical. This it's isn't a little sci- bit. This yeah. isn't curb your enthusiasm. No. This isn't that kind of pessimistic humor. Mm. This is a pretty straight up sitcom. So all of a sudden, I've watched like four episodes of this thing, and they're all kind of cute and light. And when they're dark, they're sort of playfully dark. And now here's just one about. About how life is shit and if you're you know someone who's a bit odd or they portray the pandas as being sort of you know overweight mm, and, and yet yeah, awkward awkward and, and like whatever it's like you shouldn't dream you shouldn't have standards <laughs> you shouldn't have hopes you shouldn't try to find someone you connect with you should take whoever you can get because you're pathetic and you, you won't find anyone else and personally i'm watching this and i'm like there are times in my life where if I watched this episode, I would have sunken into a great state of depression. Mm. If some mainstream show I was just trying to watch for light entertainment tried to tell me that message. Well, it just again, sucks. Again, I think the curse is taken off because they're animal people. That's, I don't think they are, though. I think there's too much of a real-world connection. I think it's mm. too clean a parallel. Mm. between what's the animal world and what's not. This isn't them, you know, drinking whiskey on television and firing guns on the air because that's silly and ridiculous. This is just, I really wanted to date someone who I really, really like, and I really want to date someone I really, really like, and it just doesn't happen to be both people, and then there's just like, well, you should settle for each well, other, and they're like, also, fine. That's a little too close to reality. Well, but also... There's no interspecies romance in this show. There aren't, like, you know, snakes dating pigs. It's all lions marry other lions. I know. So when a panda falls in love with a lion, that's a little absurd, isn't it? Yeah, I Sure, they can fall in love, but where would they make a home? In Siegfried and Roy's Zoo. No, I guess so. (laughs) Yeah, moving on. Uh, Larry's debut and Sweet Daryl Hannah 2. Daryl Hannah's not in the episode. I don't understand that title at all, but maybe she was supposed to be. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so uh, Larry's supposed to make his big debut on stage. I guess he's been rehearsing this whole time, uh, and he's going to debut on—is uh, it the Today Show with the? It used to have Matt Lauer on it. Yeah. So he's going to re- debut on the Today Show, which is his big morning show uh, in America, where it's like from like six a.m. to nine a.m. or something like that. Uh, it's a, it's half news, half interviews, Me half. Too puff pieces about like how to make the perfect omelet and shit it, it's designed to wake you up in the morning without no. without doing anything too challenging yeah you can watch you can catch up a little bit on the news while Remember making your cereal and there's something everybody's really bright and chipper they're really well prepared for early being I, I admire those people who work on those morning shows because they probably got to get up at 3 a.m that's a tough gig yeah uh, there's actually a movie it's a little <coughs> it's a little fluffy but i generally like it called morning glory with uh, rachel mm. mcadams and harrison ford where uh, she's a producer oh, yeah, of a morning show. One, yeah. She's a producer of a morning show, and Harrison Ford used to be a very serious, like Walter Cronkite-ish 
um, news reader, news yeah. reporter, like a proper anchorman. And now he's like under contract. He has to do whatever they want him to do, and so they want him to do this morning show, and he doesn't want to do it. And mm. it's about that him him wanting to do real news, her trying to do fun news, and finding a mm. path in the middle. Uh, I, it's cute. It's I, a cute movie. Yeah. I like it a lot. I hear it's really good, but I hope the morning show on Apple TV Plus gets canceled just so we can cover it on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I also heard that it's mm. good. Um, but in any case, uh, Larry's a little nervous about this, and the trick that they want him to do uh, actually he bungles it in the rehearsal so they decide to go with the white tiger instead and it turns out the white tiger mm. is a conniving like egomaniac who wants the spotlight all to himself <laughs> and indeed and the, he sabotaged uh, Larry's father-in-law's big TV debut as well yeah so like when, when he was a, a tiger cub and we get yeah. there's like a footage of it we get to see it yeah it's like he's balancing on a ball or something and he falls off yeah exactly it's, it turns out it was tiger. all a trick yeah I, I do like that the the lions are treated as sort of like working class blue collar schlubs but the tigers are like the young of of the neighborhood. Yeah, later they, on they he, own nicer stuff, and they're kind of like waspier and condescending. Yeah, they, later on in a later episode, they go to a party at the White Tiger's house, mm-hmm. and the White Tigers a they have a nicer house. B they're drinking they're drinking fine wines, and they're having like weird role playing sex, like right <laughs> like right around the corner from everybody. They're just throwing their happiness in everyone's faces, mm. and you hate them so much. Which I, I find to be really funny because the lions, although they incorporated lions into their act, Siegfried and Roy are known for the tigers. Well, that's kind of the, the point of this the episode. They got the white tigers, yeah. One of this episode is the tigers get all the glory, but lions are in it too. Uh-huh. So, what the hell, tigers? <laughs> how, did, how did you become the face of this? Everyone else is doing just as much work. Um, Greg, Greg Proops has a funny bit about, uh, about Siegfried and Roy and the tigers. Mm. Says, uh... The tigers are white, but you look at Siegfried and Roy, and they're they're really kind of orange. And I have a theory that the tigers were once orange, <laughs> and they got into this weird laser light centrifuge, and their colors transferred. Um, okay, and the next episode is called "And the Revolution Continues." On uh, this well, one, this they is go to kind of bizarre. It's Danny DeVito is yeah. This- Danny, they got some star. good guest stars on this show. Yeah. So Danny DeVito guest stars on this one as a lobster who Sierra meets at a fancy restaurant, and she rescues the lobster. And she, uh, it turns out, the lobster is a political revolutionary who has got Sierra on his side to do his bidding, and he wants She's, to uh, protest a like the a, local bar and make it yeah. more aquatic friendly. Yeah, it's, Sierra is a, a very, very reminiscent of Lisa Simpson in that in her politics. Yeah, that she's always trying to fight for extreme left wing politics, unless she's really angry adolescent rather than Lisa Simpson's a little bit more of an optimist. She's a bit more like the daughter of um, an American dad. Yeah. Yeah, a little yeah. bit more a little bit more of a hippie I, than a, than maybe but Lisa, not, but yeah. Not I've seen enough American dad to know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of cool, but also kind of rebellious, but also mm. kind of insecure, and it, it's fine. Um, so uh, the dad who wants to be really cool for his daughter starts like supporting this whole political thing, but then it starts getting really out of hand, and mm. he's got to try to stop the lobster. But, but then his daughter's really mad at him, and the, will the, they stop the lobster? The, the joke is that the lobster, and I love that the lobster's tank is sort of like this division between the animal and the human worlds. Because the lobster has been hiding out in this tank and has not been selected at a restaurant for a long time and has learned to sort of survive by his wits in the lobster tank. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and when they finally free the lobster, um, yeah, there's, there's all this sort of talk about, you know, I, I used to be in the tank and I was almost selected. And 
when he's back in the tank later in the episode, we finally get to see that oh, Barbara Streisand is right on the other side. Yeah, and there there's actually one shot that I thought was really clever where he gets to see the animals on one side and the humans on the other, and it felt like this weird sort of dark mirror, like <laughs> alternate universe mirror parallel. Yeah, which kind of highlight the. The downright absurdity of this show. Yeah. About how the animals and the humans live sort of in separate worlds, but they're not necessarily copacetic. They kind of reflect one another in this dark way. Yeah. They're mm. tethered. Indeed. <laughs> they are the tethered. Did you ever see that Saturday Night Live sketch with John Mulaney about the lobster? No. Oh, my God. I'm not going to ruin it for you. Let's just say there's an episode of Saturday Night Live where John Mulaney guest hosted. Mm. After, after he worked on the show, he came back to host yeah. it. And it's a bunch of guys at a diner, mm. and one of them decides to order the lobster. Uh-huh. And the lobster is like this really old lobster who's like been living there for years and no one has ever picked him and Uh everyone's really sad that he's picked the lobster and the lobster starts doing like songs from Les Miserables about (laughs) about his tragic (laughs) sacrifice and they're just like how can you say no to this lobster how can you how can you eat this lobster I don't know just all these songs are just making me hungrier you monster and it turns into a bigger musical (laughs) I dreamed a dream of time gone by pretty much it's great uh, the next episode is called the Thanksgiving episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the Thanksgiving episode. Uh, and the the idea is uh, Kate is running for the local PTA against, I think, the White Tiger. And um, while she is in the middle of her speech trying to like show talk about her great big policies... She, uh, mi- she misnamed some turkeys sitting in the front row. Yeah, someone says, a turkey says something. And she says, <laughs> oh, oh, uh, you have a question, Beatrice? And then it turns out that wasn't Beatrice a turkey, it was another turkey. And that's when she says, I'm sorry, all turkeys look alike to me. Mm. And everyone gasps, as well they should. What a <laughs> shitty thing to say. And now everyone thinks she's a racist. And now they have to undo the damage by inviting the turkeys over for anti-Thanksgiving. Which is the turkey holiday. <laughs> because, you know, the turkeys kind of have they're, it. Like, worst trying, of all at Thanksgiving, they argue. They're trying to get into the... The, the turkey's culture and yeah it's, the turkey's culture is all, all revolves around hating Thanksgiving now to an extent that's love, funny to an I, extent that's and I, funny and I love how it's funny because the turkeys are not humanized the same way that the other animals are mm. they're not given more human faces they're given like these big kind of empty eyes they look like fish See, but here's but that's where I actually start finding a problem with it okay because all the other animals are anthropomorphized except the characters who are very specifically supposed to be mm. minority population in America. Mm. These are the very clear analogs where they, you know, the turkeys show up for dinner mm. and then grandpa assumes that they're there to clean the house <laughs> and he says some really <laughs> fucking horrible things mm. to them. And he, he when throw, the parallel, in like every kind of racist cliche all at once. Yeah. So but like, like, but like, even about, so, it's clear yeah. that these are supposed to be the people who are the victims of racism in mm. their community more than anyone else. And how do we choose to portray them in the show? Mm. Less human. Yeah. See what I mean? You know, this one well, kind of rubbed me the wrong well, way. They're, they're just, fucking turkeys. I'm sorry. They're <laughs> trying to have like a real story. They're trying to actually talk about actual racism here a little mm. bit. Yeah. And every time they do, because of the creative, I think trying to tackle a, a, a conversation as serious as this. Mm. Probably was an overreach because I don't think they actually have the gas in the tank to get them Mm. there. I don't think they have the setup for the show cleanly defined enough that they can do this without airballing it. I just thought they tried way too hard Uh to like, and they thought they could get away with a lot of offensive stuff because Mm. it's okay. They're just stand ins for people who are hurt by all this stuff in society, but it didn't work. Mm. I just don't think it worked. 
it, I, I, I see why it's supposed to be funny. I didn't laugh. Yeah, okay. I, I, again, I, I think um, the actual like racist comments aren't funny, but the the. The, the gag comes from the fact that they are these are still animal people that yeah, they're they're trying to sort of get into we're using racism as an analog for the the animal humor and sure. a, 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 a lion trying to absorb the culture of a turkey is a comic setup because because yeah. it's turkey and a turkey but, doesn't have a culture but, but that's a turkey but that's perfect that perfectly yeah. sums up our difference well, the, you're saying the lions you're don't saying have that, a culture either because they're lions all they do is you know they're they would eat the turkey. Yeah, but that's yeah. it. They, but no, they, they eat things and go on Sanford and Roy shows. Here, here's, I think this all might be a matter of perspective. You're mm-hmm. saying that they're using the idea of racism as a way to discuss the weirdness of animal culture. I yeah. think they're using the weirdness of animal culture as a way to talk about racism, and I think that mm-hmm. was a mistake. Oh, okay. Anyway, uh, the next episode is One Man's Meat is Another Man's Girlfriend. Oh, this, this is uh, Snack gets his own episode. Snack uh, is the gopher. Um, yeah. And he uh, he starts dating uh, another gopher, and this is a rare occurrence for him. He doesn't date a lot. He's yeah. usually too busy hustling. And he's yeah. Or if he kind, does kind date, of, it's just he just sleeps around. Yeah, he's, he's never, he's, never he's serious kind of, about He's kind anybody. of a scoundrel, but he's fallen in love with a gopher, and uh, when he, he takes Larry and his girlfriend out on a date so he can introduce Larry to his girlfriend, when he gets up and to go to the bathroom, she reveals that she's going to leave him because yeah, she she's not like into him. him. And Larry, um, to save uh, Snack's feelings, instead of saying she wasn't into you, he says, I ate her. Yeah. Now that's which, funny! Which is a thing that would might have happened. Now yeah. that is actually funny, because huh. that is a thing you can only do on this show, mm. is animals doing weird animal things, and it kind of highlights the absurdity of these creatures kind of living together like mm. this in this sort of weird suburban environment yeah. where you can just do that. Mm. Um, and yeah, that's a real awkward situation, and of course the, the lie is revealed, etc., yada, yada, yada. Yeah, the, but, this is the one where he's on a diet, so it would make sense that he would just sort of lean over and eat a girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, also in this episode, uh, Sierra learns how to play poker from her grandfather. Mm. They, Subplot. They school each other pretty bad. And Subplot. I was kind of hoping Sierra would like. The joke is that he tells her that he knows all of his buddies' tells. Mm-hmm. She says, "You're cheating." No, I'm not cheating. I just. Oh yeah, that really bugged me. Where she like couldn't. There, there were like, excuse me, of... and I, I thought the whole joke was going to be, well, I I know all of their tells, and she secretly learns his tells in looking at him playing. Well, she kind of does. But well, she then it does, turns but out then it turns was... out he fakes her out. Yeah, so, he yeah. knew that she would be looking for tells, and so he made up a tell now, for when he was lying, Carl Reiner so that she noticed. Carl Reiner was in Ocean's Eleven, so... <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> when, didn't he play Guard Shark in Ocean's Eleven? Like, no, he, thing? He, he played the guy who posed as, like, the Russian oligarch. Oh, that's right, he did play the Russian oligarch. Yeah. I thought he was... I thought I remember seeing him gamble. Maybe there wasn't a whole plot point about it. Um, yeah, but, uh, just... When he's gambling, I'm thinking of Ocean's Eleven, and anything that makes me think of that movie makes me happy, because I, <laughs> I love that movie a lot. Good film. Uh, the next episode's kind of a weird one, because it's a crossover with Shrek. Yeah, well, this was a DreamWorks, DreamWorks property. Yeah. It's floated with DreamWorks humor. There's a lot of pop references. There's a lot of sort of crass humor. It Kung Fu Panda and Shrek are all over this thing anyway. And uh, yeah, in this world, it turns out Donkey from Shrek is a real donkey. Yeah, and he's an actor who was in Shrek. And indeed, we talked to... No, I've seen Shrek. The donkey speaks. Yeah. I'm a human that see that, that's seen that donkey speak. So does that donkey speak English in the world of Father of the Pride? No, no, no. In the, in the movie, he's dubbed by Eddie Murphy. Oh, so he, he's playing a donkey. He plays the donkey. Eddie Murphy Eddie does Murphy, the voice. The human actor, Eddie Murphy, plays the voice of the donkey. That's my assumption. But the donkey itself... 
also sounds like Eddie Murphy it's to good, the animals. It's good casting. I guess so. Yeah. Uh, Eddie Murphy <laughs> shows up to play Donkey from Shrek. Um, and the gag of the episode is... Uh, it's, it's bring a your dad. Play. Well, it's yeah, it's, it's yeah. bring your parents. It's bring your. It's a uh, uh, what do they call it? Career What's, day. Career day. Yeah. It's career day at school. Everyone brings their parents to, to school, and their parents say what they do for a living. One of them was funny because one of the lions brings his dad, and he's the MGM lion. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that one was pretty funny. What, what, actually, like, hi, what, what'd you do last night? Oh, not much. Saw myself in a movie. <laughs> So you saw an MGM film. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. Um, and then Larry shows up, and it's actually kind of weird that people aren't more impressed that he's, like, got the coolest job in the entire community. He's the star of the Siegfried and Roy show. Yeah, which is why you all have a home. Oh. So you'd think, I mean, yeah, okay, maybe you're not starstruck, but you'd think you'd have a, well, a twinge of respect for this think, guy around town. If, if your dad came in and said, yeah, I work in the mayor's office. Like, you're not the mayor, but you work in the mayor's office. Uh-huh. But your friend, your, your friend's think... dad is a like a race car driver. Okay, I realize that, <laughs> but I think I think this is the one where, uh, hey, we live in a town with a racetrack, and the racetrack mm. like is in charge, like is it drives the whole economy, mm. and I'm the main race car driver. That's Larry. I think that's a more accurate thing because he's a okay. star. He's an actor. Yeah. So it's something. It's something. It, it's something. Uh, but I can understand why they why the kids wouldn't be impressed sure. because that's just their community. I suppose that's like true. think of like like uh, kids who live on army bases. Yeah. If your dad is the general on the army base, that might actually be a little intimidating, right? You wouldn't want to want to go to that friend's house because yeah. this kid's dad is there and he's the boss. Mm. Um, anyway, uh, um, but, so, but he, he he's tells so, the kids he's so that uncool, and his son is un, like unimpressed getting, with getting him, and bullied. it's getting bullied at school. So he says, "I'll tell you what, Donkey is coming to town, and he lies to the class and says, I know Donkey. I'll bring him in here.' Yeah, Donkey is in town to shoot a commercial, mm-hmm. and uh, he says, I know Donkey personally. I'll bring him into class, and they're like, Yay! And he's like, Crap! And it turns out, like even like his father-in-law doesn't know Donkey, and his father-in-law worked with everybody. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's weird throwaway jokes where they're like looking at a magazine, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Oh, Courtney Thorne Smith has quite a nice living room." Mm-hmm. And then Dad's just like, "I did a commercial with her once, rubbed up against her leg." <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, that's comedy. Mm-hmm. But they don't know Donkey. Finally, he's able to get in the same like place as Donkey. I, and I do, I do like when he he con- converses with Donkey. He's like, "Hey, my kid." Would like to meet you. I made a promise. Yeah. Can, can you get me out of this bind? Donkey says, "Oh yeah, talk to my agent." And the agent is walking behind him. So uh, I was just talking to Donkey, and Donkey says that he would be able to do it. No, not going to happen. He walks back up to Donkey. Look, I just talked to your agent, and it looks like it's like a telephone call. Yeah, it's, no, it's like, it's like, like a series of telephone. I calls. just talked to your agent. Yeah. The agent said, "No way." Donkey's like, "Well, that's got to be some mistake." You tell my, you tell my agent. I want to make it a priority. Tell him it's a code green. Mm. And he's like, "Hey, yeah, Donkey said actually he wants to make it a priority. He says it's a code green. Not gonna happen." Okay. <laughs> hey, Donkey, your agent. I told your agent the code green thing. Donkey's like, "Listen, I get a lot of requests." I can't say yes to everybody. I hate being the bad guy. That's the agent's job. Mm. I know it sucks. I would love to be able to make time for everybody. I was bullied a lot as a kid, too. I literally need time for my career and mm. my life. I can't give myself to everyone all so, the time. In other words, and- they just left a hot mic in Eddie Murphy's booth. And- <laughs> But just, but you know, it's actually fair. It's actually mm. a fair comment about celebrity. Usually, in like, if like did this in an episode of the Flintstones or whatever, the, the celebrity would be kind of like a dickhead. Yeah, the celebrity would be a big old jerk. And like here, it's just like, listen, 
theoretically, yes, I would love to. I just I can't. Everyone, I, I will always I'm let very someone. Very famous, thousands of people. At, I will ask always this of me every day. I will always let someone down, mm-hmm. and I just have to be, you know, careful about how I manage my schedule and who I give my time to. I'm sorry, that mm-hmm. sucks. So they kidnap Donkey. But it turns out they kidnap Donkey's stunt double, who which, agrees to do it because it's actually a good gig. Which I like to think is a reference to the movie Bowfinger. Same. <laughs> I also think it's a re- it's a Bowfinger. Yeah. Bowfinger is a great comedy if you haven't seen it. By the way, it kind of it's, fell by the it's wayside. A good no, I think it's pretty great. Yeah, I think right. it's it's great if you know Hollywood. I suppose so. If you haven't seen Bowfinger, because like just no one talks about it's a fr- it, a Frank Oz film from 1999, yes. and uh, Steve Martin plays a down on his luck uh, filmmaker who has what he thinks is a really great script, but he can't get it sold unless it stars like the biggest actor in the world, who's played by Eddie Murphy. He can't get Eddie Murphy, so he decides to get an Eddie Murphy lookalike, but also who's also played by Eddie Murphy, in but the movie, also yeah. to secretly film the real Eddie Murphy in scenes that are kind of like the script, yeah, like gorilla style. Yeah, so. Like in person, and then Eddie Murphy starts thinking weird sci-fi things are actually happening to him because it's a sci-fi script. Damn funny movie! Just really, everyone's on fire in it. <laughs> um, but yeah, he Donkey comes to class, but then Donkey starts talking, and they realize it's not Eddie Murphy Donkey. Mm-hmm. And but Donkey actually happens to chance by because he was looking for a stunt double, and he sees the kids being mean to the little lion, and he's yeah, he just like, okay, fine. To when he was being bullied. All right, yeah. fine. Listen, I'm here. I'll be the, I'll be the nice guy. Hey, here's my good friend Larry. We don't have fun. <coughs> <laughs> then yeah, they yeah. does the whole bit and. Eddie Murphy's present. Eddie Murphy's doing his job. Everyone's yeah. doing it fine. It's an okay episode. It's yeah. I, I appreciate how committed it. And we mentioned that already, but I appreciate how everybody is. The actors are all really committed. They're mm-hmm. really selling their roles. They're playing roles. They're not just sleepwalking through gags. Yeah, John Goodman's indeed, really good in this. He's yeah. as good as he is on Roseanne, which I realize mm. sounds like a high bar. I mean it. Yeah, he he knows how to modulate his voice. He knows you can tell when he's playing a character. He's not just doing John Goodman. Yeah, which was DreamWorks' shtick, if you remember. Mm-hmm. Um, just get actors to be themselves. Yeah, like th- this whole history of like getting a celebrity to be a voice in your cartoon wasn't really a thing, and. I guess it kind of started in earnest with Aladdin. Aladdin was the big one. But Shrek was the one that just blew the doors open where they started putting the actors' names really, really big on the poster yeah. next to their characters as if they, they were live-action stars. In fact, in fact, it was actually um, kind of a big deal because when they, they originally recorded Shrek mm-hmm. and then Mike Myers wanted to not be Mike Myers, so he added the accent. Yeah. He said, and he had them he redo the whole movie. Not, not the whole movie, but they had him redo he, the whole vocal track. He, re, he re-recorded his entire part with the Scottish accent, because that's what he wanted to do. Uh-huh. And that, I, I think that gave Shrek a lot more character, so that I, was a good choice. I think so, too. I think it mm. gave it gave us someone who wasn't a celebrity mm. to just sort of be with, a new character, yeah. someone who actually um, felt like an outsider. A lot of people in the voice acting community were outraged by this, yeah. because all of a sudden you have, and DreamWorks did this, they, you know, with the Madagascar films as well, just started saying, hey, what live-action actors that people are familiar with their faces can we cast as voice actors? Doesn't matter whether or not they're good voice actors. Some mm-hmm. of them aren't. We just want them. We just want. Listen, in, in Shark Tale, we just want Will Smith to sound like Will Smith. Yeah, yeah. We don't want him to actually like do a character. Mm-hmm. Which I Never, guess that goes back. I'm trying to think of the first movie to do that. It might have been The Jungle Book with George Sanders and Shere Khan. Or he's just playing. Himself. He's playing George Sanders. Like yeah. he sounds like George Sanders. It's great casting. Mm-hmm. 
He wasn't a huge box office draw, but it was a get. Well, and, and uh, I, I love this comment Roger Ebert once made. He said that cartoon voice is what, what it was what uh, actors used to do instead of dinner theater. Like it was seen as a low thing to do, like a low point in your career if you were doing cartoon voices mm-hmm. at one, once upon a time. Now it's a kind of a plum gag. Um, but yeah, uh, John DiMaggio made a, a documentary film called I Know That Voice, all about voice actors, and I think there's a conversation in it about this. John DiMaggio appears in Father of the Pride. He plays the uh, the steroid addict Boars. Oh, yeah. There's a... T- t- there's there's twin, two, like, muscle-bound Boars. Twin Boars, and they wear little singlets, and they're always, like, clearly really high on something because they're screaming all of their dialogue. Yeah. It's like you realize steroids will make your penis small. Worth it! It's worth it! Yeah! And they're like punching each other in the stomach. And John DiMaggio is playing both of these parts, and he's doing a great job. Well, he's always done a great yeah. job. And we got to move on. John DiMaggio. All right, the next episode is called Possession. Uh, this, is, this is a two for both plots of equal amount of uh, uh, time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one is they go to that tiger oh, yuppie party, and then in order to make Kate feel better, because Kate has been saying uh, Larry isn't spontaneous enough, he's not doing enough for the marriage, uh, he steals their TV. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a weird way to be spontaneous, and then, but okay. And then he's like put in charge of like the neighborhood watch to try to find out who stole the TV. So it's kind of funny. Yeah. And then meanwhile... Uh, and, and like, they become kind of like kleptomaniacs after yeah, a while. Yeah, it starts like reigniting their sex life because like, every time they steal something, they're like, <laughs> now we have sex. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, uh, the grandfather and the son, who barely, who hasn't had like good subplots yet, uh, he starts like taking an interest in the kid. The kid's really sensitive. He's like listening and singing along to Tori Amos all the time. Mm-hmm. And he wants the kid to be more macho. And so he takes the kid to underground kid fight clubs. <laughs> Which is completely bizarre. Yeah, he teaches the kid no, to be even, really aggressive again, and creepy. You, you can look at this as we're forcing children to fight, which is an unsavory story, mm-hmm. but they're animals. Oh. And, and, anim- and little animals tussle, and that's fine. No, no, I get it. And he's also a predator, and he's mm-hmm. learning to be a predator. And mm-hmm. he turns out the kid has no off switch. And actually, yeah, all they, of his they, sensitivity they, was take, probably a really necessary measure to keep him from turning into a serial killer. Mm-hmm. That's actually pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually pretty funny. Yeah, stuff. they take off the cone and they put, like, war paint on him and he just becomes this... His name is Hunter, by the yeah. way. Uh, the next episode is called Road Trip, uh, which has actually kind of a funny framing device where uh, it turns out that Larry and Kate got married on Jimi Hendrix's birthday. And Larry is so into Jimi Hendrix that he only remembers Jimi Hendrix's birthday and, and never remembers their wow. anniversary. So every time she thinks something special is going on, he shows up dressed like Jimi Hendrix, talking about how great his relationship okay. with Jimi Hendrix is and how like no one really understands Jimi Hendrix and was really an artist. And then she's just like, I made dinner for our anniversary. He's like, an anniversary? And where she's mad, and then we see uh, next year oh, the God. same thing happens, and the next year the same thing happens, and that this that was one toke over the line for me. That was one yeah. toke over yeah. the line. What was how was that one toke over the line? Look, the, the lion dressed as Jimi Hendrix is just dumb. All right, yes, it's, but it's funny. <laughs> I, I said already, I like it when they do animal stuff. Lions but, don't just dress as Jimi Hendrix as a matter of course. Okay. Even if stop. they're big fans. They are huge fans. <laughs> and I, it was so absurd, I, I was kind of with All it. Just right. the fact that a lion would be so into Jimi Hendrix, he'd forget his anniversary. 
multiple <laughs> years in a row, um, which makes you wonder why they got married on Jimi Hendrix's birthday to begin with. Did he only really I, discover the art of Jimi Hendrix after the, after the wedding? It's possible that they got married and Weird. Oh, bought, then bought his first Jimi Hendrix record. Uh, so she's so mad at Larry for forgetting her anniversary again. Mm-hmm. Uh, that she takes Siegfried and Roy up on an offer to take all of the lady giant cats out for a spa weekend, <laughs> which See, is a weird premise. Siegfried and Roy treat the animals well. Very well. Yeah, then, yeah they take all of the, the females over to uh, essentially a lion brothel. Yeah. Because there's a sexy jaguar there. Well, he was like, I don't think he's played by Ricardo Montalban, but whoever is doing the character Ricardo is... And he looks like yeah. Chester the Cheetah. I kind of <laughs> wish they'd actually gone for it and made him Chester the Cheetah. You could get that same actor who yeah. plays the voice. I don't know who he plays he had that cool, like, I'm Chester yeah. the Cheetah and I'm cool. I don't know if he still does that voice, but that was a whole it's campaign. It's being cheesy. cheesy. Yeah. <laughs> that was in like the late 90s, early 80s. Chester the mm. Cheetah from the Cheetos commercials got a huge, like, Poochie makeover mm. where he had sunglasses and was totally badass. <laughs> So, like, he's trying to seduce Kate. It's the most embarrassing thing. I know. It's really hilarious. Chester Cheetah. And they're doing a Chester the Cheetah movie, too. (coughs) Wait, what? Oh, oh, oh. You gotta be kidding me. No, I'm not. Hang on. And someone weird's directing it, too. I'm trying to remember who it was. Hang on. Herzog. Cheetos movie. Oh, wait. Cheetos movie. Sorry. It is not a Chester the Cheetah movie, but it is a movie about the creation of Flamin' Hot Cheetos, and it is being directed by Ava Longoria. It is happening to the world. That's a weird when did project. I, when did I fall into the weird dimension? I, I don't when remember. When Trump was elected, yeah, uh, that was the day. Everything just went. Yeah, yeah someone had. Some, did we turn no, on I a think, large hadron collider on th- that day? Th- is it, that what happened? It, no, I think it was earlier than that. Just it took us a while for us to notice. Like, yeah. like the Scooby Doo movie came out, and yeah. it's like that's a little weird, but we'll accept it. No, no, th- this is this is how it happens. Like the entire planet dropped acid. Yeah, yeah like, like the, the planet the, itself. The poles yeah. shifted, time sped up. Anyway, uh, meanwhile, uh, Larry decides he needs to get Kate back. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... He and Sarmoti go on a road trip to yeah. get to this spa. And it turns out they're not actually supposed to leave the enclosure, but Sarmoti has In fact, they, a they, ba- back they don't, door. They don't leave the enclosure because they're lions. They shouldn't get out. <laughs> well, they do in this episode, mm-hmm. though, because Sarmoti has, like, a Shawshank Redemption tunnel. Yeah. Uh, and so they leave, and they go into the desert, and they run into a coyote who is an actual coyote uh, who's played by David Spade. It's kind of funny. And, the coyote is an actual coyote. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and the, the coyote takes peyote. And uh, the coyote is high for most of the episode, but what I appreciate is he doesn't. he's not crazy high. Yeah. He actually he's just, just kind of talk- useless. He talks like David Spade. It's like, well, I, I don't know the directions, but the moon is melting, and that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> and, so the- and is David Spade doing his deadpan bit? And... So they get lost well, in good. the woods uh, at one point. And this is a weird bit, actually, mm. for a couple of reasons. Uh, Sarmoni gets bitten on the butt by a rattlesnake. Yeah. And then the only way to save his life is to suck out the poison. Of course, I don't want to because it's kind of eroticized mm. and like, you know, oh, I'm going to put butt. my lips on I your wanna, butt cheeks. I don't want to put my mouth on your butt. But, so gross, Larry yeah. has to do it. There's a weird angle they chose for that shot. <laughs> That's just the weirdest possible. Well, just like it just how, making it look odd. Consider how things touch in CGI. Things can't actually can't really interact in CGI. They're all in, animated independently of one another. Basically. Yeah. And so it's difficult to get like traction i know and, it's just uh, something about it where so, you would so never you use that shot have, like the, a mouth on a butt no no i don't i don't need a close-up yeah. it's just the wide shot that they chose mm. is just 
Larry's butt in the air in the foreground, and it's just something weirdly. It just shows a weird angle for it. And then while he's doing that, and he like insists that Sarmody sing while he do it to make it less weird, which makes it even more weird. Then after a while, the snake laughs because he's actually not a rattlesnake. He was just holding a prank all the time. Yeah, he was holding a rattler in his tail, and he's like, "Ha! You guys fell for it." And I'm like, "Well played, snake." That's a. It's a weird prank, Snake. Mm. And then they get to the... Uh, they find uh, their way to the, the spa, spa and, and they make up. And then it turns out next year he remembers... He does the Jimi Hendrix thing again. Mm. Yeah. Uh, there's uh, only only two episodes... No, three episodes left. Mm. I, I... I'm... Even before I got married, I was not comfortable with stories of, like, bad husbands and couples fighting. Maybe because my parents divorced when I was three and I didn't think that was funny. Yeah. So I had a, have a lot of trouble with stories, like finding funny stories about just couples that are at odds and trying yeah. to make up because it's awkward and weird. Well, and, it's well, not, again. and it's not funny and you know, I'm married now and I don't, I, I don't feel like a kind of humorous, oh, I relate to that when couples are screaming at each other because yeah. my wife and I don't scream. Like we've had fights, but we don't scream at each other. Well, like that. again, I, I've, I, we talked about this not too long ago mm-hmm. when we did some other sitcom. I don't remember which one, but, um, Oh, we're talking about how honey I'm home and we're talking about how, uh, so many sitcoms take place in a home environment, right? Like just at a house, but, Sitcoms, like any other kind of serialized storytelling, require an injection of drama into every episode, and the essence of drama is conflict. Mm. And as a result, people, for the last better part of a century, have had beamed into their household multiple times a day, Mm. consumed by the whole family, this idea of normalcy within the home being conflict, being anger, being uh, repression, being mm. uh, uh, resentment, and how that is wacky and fun, and actually it's just mostly unhealthy. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's fights, and there's disagreements, and there's trouble in a relationship that needs to be worked through, but not in a sitcom way, and the more you go through that over time, mm. the more you realize it's just like, this isn't funny anymore, they should just get divorced. Yeah. yeah. This many conflicts? You have this many conflicts well, all they, the time? They even you should that- be divorced. On, on an animated show like The Simpsons, the yeah. curse is taken off of it again because they're cartoon people. True, uh, you know they they're big, broad, roundy, big, big-eyed creatures uh-huh. with yellow skin. Who they're don't age looking. after four decades. Yeah, how long has Bart been ten? It's weird. Yeah, and, and even in a show like The Simpsons, which is so you know notoriously long-lived at this point. You, you've already, probably about a decade ago, in fact, started to question why is Marge still with Homer? Yeah. Because he turned from just sort of a... A lovable boob. A, yeah, a, a lovable boob, this blue-collar guy who wanted to work really hard to present well to the community. He wanted to look like a, quote, normal family. That was a big obsession with him his in the early episodes. And then he just sort of became essentially a... a the world's biggest piece, moron. Yeah, a piece of furniture, like a, just yeah. a completely stupid person. Yeah, funny, but like after a while, it's just you start questioning the premise. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the next episode is called Rehabilitation. Uh, and this episode, Larry is getting burnt out at work. Uh, and as a result, he fakes an injury. And Siegfried mm. and Roy thinks he has uh, hurt his paw or his leg and he is told to stay off of it for a week and he is given uh because he's a cat he's given his uh uh drugs in meatballs yeah <laughs> and so he's which, given which meatballs he, to take for his leg but he's not eating them and he also because he's doesn't he's he has a noble injury. noble intentions it's not just that he's burned out he's also not seeing his family anymore yeah he wants so to he actually wants to spend stay time at with home so he fakes an injury 
he lies to his family about the injury. He should just tell them I'm going to fake an injury so he can spend time at home. Yeah. But uh, he but he lies about it, and then uh, he's not eating the pills because he doesn't need them. Mm. And then uh, Sarmody is making fun of him, and he asks for a meatball, and he's like, "You shouldn't." And he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry. Can you not stand having not having the taste of food in your mouth for five minutes?" He's like, "Fine, take the meatballs." Mm. And then Sarmody starts taking the drugs, and he actually becomes a nicer person. <laughs> and everyone's I don't know why pain medication would do that so much. I guess Sarmody actually is. <coughs> Probably dealing with a lot of chronic pain that's gone been undiagnosed, maybe and maybe so. he actually should be on medication. Uh, they don't deal with that. Mm-hmm. They probably should. But Sarmody is on drugs. And when he finds out he's on drugs, uh, he gets mad. There's a big fight. And then Thigrid and Roy find out that the cats are on are, are drug addicts. And send them to animal rehab. <laughs> Which is kind of funny. They, well, they treat the animals well. They um, do. Uh, th- there is not a single animal cruelty joke. Like there's cru- the animals behave cruelly, but in an animal sort of way. Yeah, two like, other animals. Two other animals. But, but Siegfried and Roy are actually no, very good. They're animal people. They're kind, friendly weirdos. They're actually yeah. depicted very well. In they're this very show. sweet. I mean, yeah, mm. they're 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 silly, mm. and their perspective on things is odd, they're, and they're, they're very theatrical in ways that are implausible. With, yeah, they're obsessed with money and celebrity, yeah, but and they're weird, like you know. Diamond studded cod pieces or whatever, but one of very has, harmless. One of them has a gambling problem. Yeah, yeah, that was. But that's you know, we forgot to mention in the Today Show episode. They brought in Matt Lauer. Yeah, oh, yeah, Matt Lauer plays himself, and yeah. they animated a Matt Lauer, which it, doesn't play as well now. Well, especially because the episode is about how Siegfried hates <laughs> Matt Lauer, and <laughs> the gag is he has no reason to hate Matt Lauer, and everyone's like trying to defend Matt Lauer because mm. Matt Lauer is so cool, and then Siegfried... Well, and then in 2004, everybody loved Matt Lauer. He was well, just yeah. the nice, trusted face of morning TV. And now we we know better, but like it just plays totally different now mm. than it does at the time. It's really, really weird. Anyway, uh, so they go, to, they go to rehab, and somebody actually, you know... Learns a viable lesson and shit, and the episode's over. Uh, the well, there's, next, there's a big confrontation about uh, between Larry and Sarmoti about how their relationship. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the next episode is called. Uh, this is the next episode in order was actually Stage Fright. Okay, uh, that was the one we were talked about mm-hmm. where they took the pilot and they reworked it. Uh, another episode that. Uh, uh, there's one more episode that didn't air in America, mm-hmm. but actually ended up airing in the UK. Uh, and this is actually one of the better episodes. Uh, the Siegfried and Roy fantasy experience movie. <laughs> where it turns now, out... It tur- there was a, f- a Siegfried and Roy movie. It's called Siegfried and Roy and the Magic Box. And it was directed by Brett R- Leonard, who did The Lawnmower Man and Virtuosity. I did not know about this. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I think it was an IMAX film. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Siegfried and Roy, uh, you know, they're... they're they love their celebrity, they love their show, but it turns out there's another magic show in Vegas, and this magic show, which is weird that they never resolve this, mm-hmm. is allegedly hosted by werewolf magicians. Yes. They're werewolves. We never meet them. We don't know if that's true or not. That's a weird joke to go unresolved, and I would like to think we would have delved well, into that later. That's that's their... Well, th- this is what makes the world of Secret and Roy so bizarre, because they're, they represent the human world... But their view of the world is so skewed yeah. that the biggest things they're concerned with is, oh, no, we have a competing act. Okay, that's something to be concerned about. You're a professional magician. And then, you, oh, you, no, you, they're uh, werewolves. How do we but, compete yeah. with that? And they learn that these magicians are werewolves. But, yeah, it's like, well, we are we live in this weird world where we're shooting lasers and having you know, white lions on stage. Yeah. We, we've we've got everything already. What do we do now? Yeah. How do you outdo laser lights and lions? Well, and how do we outdo... 
werewolves. And yeah, well, so they decide that they're werewolves. They decide what they're going to do is they're going to make their own movie, and they have no experience making a movie, so they hire Martin Scorsese, who sadly does not play himself. No, <laughs> that would have been a great get. And let me tell you something: he, he Scorsese didn't, he didn't come like, around he, until Shark Tale. Yes, Scorsese, like Scorsese plays a, a fish Scorsese in Shark Tale. I'm going to say this right now: I think they could have got him. Remember when Scorsese was in The Muse? Oh yeah, playing himself like all, all caffeined yeah. out. There's a movie uh, directed by written and directed and starring uh, Albert Brooks, and the gag is he's a screenwriter and he's can't think of anything to write, and so he hires a muse like in Greek myth, mm. uh, and she's played, played by, by, by Sharon Stone. Stone. Yeah. But he can't tell if she's actually a muse or if she's just exploiting him for money. But one of the gags is people keep visiting her, looking for inspiration, and one of them is Martin Scorsese, and he's like, I got this great idea. I'm gonna remake Raging Bull, but this time. I'm going to cast a really thin guy. Get it? He's going to be Raging Bull, but he's a thin guy. And that's the whole joke. Oh. It's just Martin Scorsese he, wants to do can, Raging Bull with a thin guy. And, and he, he can't cusses a lot. Yeah. And the, the joke is like, I've got to get out of here. i got to get something. Do you want to go to Starbucks? I think you've had enough coffee, Marty. <laughs> It's a weird joke. And there's a yeah. James Cameron shows up for a cameo in that movie. Oh, he does, doesn't he's he? It's like so. You're saying no sequel? No, no. Don't go back to Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> it's an amusing film. Yeah. Anyway, um, but yeah. Scorsese, uh, but he's fired because he's not doing the theatrical weird stuff that well, they like. Yeah, because he wants to just do. He's actually, and I actually buy this for a second. Mm. Maybe not Scorsese, but like Scorsese is actually interested. You've had an interesting life. Mm. That's actually a movie you met on a cruise ship. That's a weird <laughs> scene. We we could do a whole movie around that. Mm. So Scorsese actually wants to make the movie, and Siegfried and Roy keep changing the dialogue because they're competing with werewolves, so they want to be seen as fish people. So they change their life story so that they're mermaids. <laughs> so they're mermaids. <laughs> and then Siegfried, who's of course starring himself and Roy, has decided to direct. Mm. Uh, Siegfried just isn't feeling it anymore. He doesn't know his motivation, so Roy fires him, and he keeps trying to hire another Siegfried. He in one of the best scenes in the whole series, <laughs> Ben Kingsley auditions over the phone. Not on FaceTime or nothing, over the phone. <laughs> and he's like, Roy is just like, okay, I want to audition over the phone. Well, I've never auditioned over the phone before. What should I do? It's like, just read the lines and describe your face to me. Uh, okay, uh, my name is Siegfried, and I can't believe I'm meeting you, uh, Roy. Now, what is your face like? Um, Mild surprise. <laughs> and then uh, when he finally says, I, 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 when he finds out that Ben Kingsley didn't play Captain Picard. Oh, that's right. He, he says, I'm sorry, this won't work. And then, and then he says, what's your face like? Mildly frustrated and sad. Good. <laughs> <laughs> that's a funny bit. Uh, every every bit with Siegfried and Roy is, bit, is great. And, and that they have a whole episode is, is wonderful. Oh, it's so damn good. Mm. Anyway, um... I digress. Um, and that was the last episode that was completed. Uh, mm. There was one beyond this that I actually got to watch. Yeah. Uh, because they did do all of the voice recording and they did an animatic. Um, mm. Oh, sorry. An, one, one more thing, just real fast about okay. that episode. The lion story in that last episode was uh, uh, Larry wants to hang out with the guys and he encourages Kate to hang out with women, but she starts oh, doing like right, right. more to... female empowerment stuff than Larry mm. is comfortable with and she starts thinking she's part of a cult. We also find out that Snack is trans, which oh, yeah, they kind of yeah. just throw aside. I don't know mm. if they're ever going to get back to that, but he says he's gonna like under have the surgery, like he's mm. gonna do it. So, I mean, I'm not I sure. guess they would have dealt with that someday. I and, don't and know. It's the, I'm not sure if it's played for laughs either. I don't know because it's actually pretty like 
He's just like, yeah, I actually, uh, I'm, I've been talking to uh, some doctors, and I'm like, oh, okay, good for you, snack. That's <laughs> this is very progressive for yeah. an animated DreamWorks comedy. And I suspect the only reason it can stay progressive and not just be a throwaway joke is because the show ended right there. Oh, because yeah. if three episodes later, snack is it still comes up again. If it yeah. never comes up again. Then it's then it was clearly just a throwaway joke, and it's weird. Um, that that character who leads the female empowerment seminars, who is also she's also a lion, right, or a cat of she's a large cat, yeah, yeah a large cat, a predator of some kind. She ends up having an affair with Sarmoti in the in the animatic episode. Oh, now, an yeah. animatic is uh, when you're doing you're sort of laying out. Uh, the storyboard for a cartoon. Yeah, you're sort of drawing pictures of what the, what you want the shots to look like, and then you do a little bit more detailed versions of the storyboard, and you lay them out in and time it, and lay the vo- vocal track over it, and that's called an animatic. Yeah, basically, it's a uh, it's a it's a detailed blueprint for the movie. Yeah, or, for, yeah, or the show. They do the it for show. movies too. Yeah. yeah. Um, some animated series and movies have like bits of the movie where you can see what the animatic looks like just because it's a fascinating part of the process. There's a really good one on uh, the Lord of the Rings DVDs because that movie was so complicated. They animate, they did an animatic for pretty much the whole thing. Yeah, they're, because they're they were, animating most of it. And they were shooting three movies simultaneously, so mm. they had to be pretty clear about what they needed because yeah, they yeah, wouldn't just be able to go back Just complicated just yeah. on, a, on a logistical level. Exactly. Um, but yeah, they had, so you can watch the animatic of this script that was recorded, but they didn't actually animate. Uh, and the story of this one is... Which I didn't see, actually. Okay, Hunter wants a dog. Hunter wants a pet dog. Weird. Which is weird because they're animals. Yeah, because and if they're do- all dogs, animals, yeah. the dog would just be another person. The dog is just another person. And it turns out uh, Jessica Simpson, playing herself, is coming through, and they end up stealing Jessica Simpson's dog. Okay. Uh, Jessica Simpson is coming through because Siegfried and Roy have built a 30-foot nude Jessica Simpson statue to incorporate into their act, and they wanted her blessing. And she was really excited about it. And they were all very excited about it. <laughs> I can totally something Siegfried and Roy would do. Yeah. In this show. I don't know them personally. Like the, I kind of want to now. <laughs> I'd love to meet them. They're, they're still around. They're, I mean, they're I old men now. They're 75 and 80. If yeah. anyone we're listening to knows Siegfried and Roy, we would love to talk to Siegfried and Roy. Please. These, these Just to cool. talk about this show. I'll, we'll know. keep it to the show if yeah. that's what they want. We'll, we won't talk about nothing yeah. else, but we have so many questions. It, it is so weird that... And yeah, you mentioned that you, now you have respect for Siegfried and Roy. This animated program, which has pretty ugly animation, let's yeah. be let's be honest, it's not great, uh, and treats them like complete and utter buffoons or totally detached from reality, is the thing that gets them the most respect. Yeah, because they're like, it's not like they're the subject of like an I Tanya type biopic where no. you get to see their actual struggles and you know how hard they actually no, worked. I connect cuts through all of the the jokes and the tabloid stuff. The the gag is. And ends up being really fun character, at least for a cartoon, where that sort of boundless wonder and enthusiasm and eccentricity that you would see in their stage show, mm-hmm. that's actually who they are every second of every day. Mm-hmm. I love that. <laughs> that's a little, just a little bit of wonder. Like, that's what you want. Like, you don't mm-hmm. want, like, when you, like, they say never meet your heroes. Because your heroes are just people. (laughs) Every celebrity is just a person. Some of them have had, like, weird experiences that have, like, made them... Like, we've all seen weird celebrities. Mm. But mostly they're just people. 
But like every once in a while you meet a celebrity who actually is like exactly who you think they would be. <laughs> like, have you ever met Tilda Swinton? She is that ethereal. In like person. if you told me she was a naiad, I would be mm. like, yeah. <laughs> I've met Tilda Swinton. I buy it. I think she's a fantasy being. I do not like she we, when you when she doesn't leave a room, she just evaporates into a mist. Like I just buy it. She's just that yeah. cool. I Most got, celebrities I got, I've met are mm-hmm. just people. <laughs> I got to interview Billy Bob Thornton and I, I was so sure he was gonna ask me to, to have a beer with him. Like <laughs> here, want a lone star? It's like Yes, Billy Bob Thornton. The answer is yes, I want a lone star. Yeah. Um, yeah, some, but most of them, just mm. folks, normal mm. folks. Sometimes they're, they're in an odd they're place. They're just in front of cameras sometimes, yeah. and usually very good looking. They're in a hotel yeah. surrounded by managers or whatever, and that will make anyone weird, but usually mm. they're just people. Yeah. And Siegfried and Roy is, you want them to be magical. Like, you don't want to go over to David Copperfield's house and, and then have him just be, like, just reading a newspaper and, like, eating Cheetos out of a bag. You want him to be, like... <laughs> to appear in front of you. Yeah, you want him to appear in a puff of smoke and, like, like do that weird thing he used to do on the shows where he'd, like, okay, now subtract every number. So that's <laughs> your number, but two. Was this your number? And I'm, like, I'm pretty sure that's just math, David, but okay. Like... <laughs> Impressive. It's fine. Like, where, where's the bathroom? Move the lion head and wait four seconds. That's what you like... want. I was in Leonard Moulton's house once, and we mm. we shot a, a, a bit for a schmodown okay. uh, entrance we did with gremlins and everything. Mm. And it's his, his he's an animation expert. His home is covered in animated cells and art, and he just he's collecting I, all this cool stuff. I asked him once how many how many Mickey mice he has in his house, and yeah. he just he has, he has no, no answer. Concept. He's just he's T- tens of thousands. I, I love him. He's a he's a collector. He mm. just he has all this fun stuff because he loves it so much. And that's what you want. You don't want to mm. go to a film critic's house and not see a wall of DVDs. You want to, <laughs> you know, you, this is what you want. And so, like Siegfried and Roy, this is what I want from Siegfried and Roy. I want them to have childlike wonder about the universe and believe in magic and really love their animals. And I do like. Again, I have no idea what they're like in real life. Mm. I like these Siegfried and Roy's. <laughs> these guys are wonderful. These guys are so cute. Um, was Father of the Pride canceled too soon? <sighs> Actually, yeah. I think it was. Yeah. Um, I, I think it was because if you compare uh, this to shows of its ilk, and I'm, I'm going to compare it to Family Guy and sure. The Simpsons, uh, they never start at their strongest. No. They had a good first season of The Simpsons is rough. They have, they have a really great cast who mm-hmm. are really devoted to these parts. Mm-hmm. Nobody doesn't want to be there. They have some pretty sharp writing here and there, mm-hmm. a lot and, of promise. Would, and I think it would only sharpen as time went on. I mm-hmm. think they'd zero in on a lot of the better things yep. and scrap some of the the not so good things. Sure. Um, I think this show only had potential to get better from where it went on. I agree. The only thing that didn't age well was the animation, but even that would improve over time. I think there's a couple of episodes that didn't end well, but I think almost any sitcom that tackled similar topics of the era mm. probably wouldn't With have aged it just well. as hard. Yeah, yeah, I think any any sitcom that was just like, we're going to do an episode about racism, and mm. I'm like, okay, how deft are you? Because that's not <laughs> why we're the, here. Is this going to work? Like, yeah. you really, really got to tread lightly on that because... You can totally fuck this up really bad. Mm. So I don't think that episode worked. But generally speaking, yeah, the cast is great. Yeah. Cast is rock solid. Unilaterally great across Even the, board. the worst episode has at least a couple of really good lines mm. or a couple of good sight gags in it. There are episodes that left me very cold. But overall, this was more hit than miss. And especially all the, Sieg- all the Siegfried and Roy bits every single time mm. killed. 
Yeah. Killed. <laughs> I would love to see just this Siegfried and Roy in like animated shorts. That would be just great. Just bring them yeah. back. Like for animated shorts with just this version of Siegfried and Roy. Have them do the educational segments. Yes. We are Siegfried and Roy. We're going to teach you how to build a crystal palace. <laughs> and, or, uh, or, or take or, your crystal to the snow and throw it in. It will grow. What would Siegfried and Roy's PSAs look like? No, very flashy, yes. of course. Like yes. sequins. Yes, you know, it was like, hey, kid, you want to buy some drugs? Now, what would you do in this situation? <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, a lion, like, poops in the middle of him and starts mauling the guy. <laughs> Thanks, Siegfried and Roy. Now Love I it. know. <laughs> and knowing will make you smarter. <laughs> I'm actually really glad I saw this one. Again, it's a little hit or miss, but the hits were really good. I, I expected a lot of pain, actually. Yeah. I expected this to be just awful. Like, Game Over. Yeah, Game Over Game was Over not made, a fun me, made me laugh twice, but I'm looking back on this, and I'm just thinking of this, like, muddy, unpleasant experience I had mm-hmm. watching Game Over. Agreed. Uh, this one made me laugh consistently. Mm-hmm. Uh Especially at the beginning, the, which was weird. I think it was such kind like of right front-loaded right, and yeah. laughs. I think they found their voice. Like I, I was sending you a text message, like I'm, I'm laughing at this stupid animated lion show. Yeah, you were. Shocked. This is, this is. I, I'm surprised at myself. I'm kind of embarrassed a little bit. But <laughs> look, sometimes this mm. is why you never. And I think any film critic worth their salt mm. has learned this maybe the hard way. No matter how cool you try to be, you have to review what you actually. Well, and, God. You, and you have to be honest about how you feel. And, and that's, the, and that's uh, the ultimate example of this, because we saw an entire crowd full of jaded film critics have their <laughs> all, heart melted. All, all converted once. Every single... We were on the Fox <laughs> lot, and they have a nice big theater uh, at the Fox lot. What was this? The Zanuck Theater? The Zanuck, yeah. The, 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 Fox, the Daryl of Zanuck Theater. The Fox lot in uh, West L.A. has like three or four screening rooms for critics. Mm-hmm. And they have screenings there, and I've been to most of them at least been, once. Yeah, been been there Several times in the last few months. Yeah, yeah, it's we're there all the time, and the big theater is actually really fancy, and they actually have like some of their Academy Awards of the studios one like in the lobby, and it's real nice, and they have their biggest movies there. Yeah, unless they're renting out like an AMC movie theater somewhere, but if they're having a big movie mm-hmm. like something where they really like The Revenant or something really big, and they want what, you to see it really good. Um, I saw The Martian in that theater. I saw, I saw Prometheus the, in that theater. Yeah, I saw like all their um, animated movies, like Book yeah. of uh, the Book of the Dead. I saw there. Well, we like, saw the film you're about to mention. We we all saw in this big theater. Yeah. So yeah, we were all this is big packed theater, real <laughs> real nice, hundreds of seats, and it was packed. And every single person in the theater was a film critic who really didn't want to see the Three Stooges. <laughs> From the Farrelly brothers, the guys who brought you Dumb and Dumber, they had not been making hits for a while. We did. It was really nobody rough. wanted to see this. Everybody was assuming this is going to be really horrible. Yeah, just the, uh, the everyone had their um, like blurb written in their head for like how like the most painful movie of the year, or whatever. Like we uh, knew the, that it was going to suck. Gray Drake and Matt Achety were sitting next to each other, and uh, evidently, as the lights were going down, I think it was Gray Drake leaned over to Matt Achety and said, "Hey." What if this is the best movie ever? <laughs> Matt actually looked at Grey Drake, and Grey Drake was vaporized by his stare. But here's uh, the damnedest thing: everyone liked it. Like it started, and everyone's like, "Okay, this is 
kind of well, funny. We're all they're, laughing. They're getting that. Larry David is a nun. This is weird. Like, seriously. Okay. Like, ten minutes. This ten, is hilarious. Ten to fifteen minutes into the movie, mm-hmm. everyone's laughing. Mm-hmm. Everyone, I mean, yeah, it's not Shakespeare, but, like, it's it's a funny, stupid movie that worked exactly on its own terms. Mm-hmm. And everyone in the theater was forced to admit, you know what? That's a good film. That, that's a really funny movie. I don't know about good film, but they were saying funny movie, and it worked. Yeah, everyone was like, "Fair enough." To, uh, uh, to the extent un- that ironically funny movie. To the extent that I am shocked uh-huh. that it is still not fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. That's a little bizarre. It's fifty-one percent, and the critics' consensus is well, nowhere near as painful as it could have been. Yeah. <laughs> Just surprisingly good. Yeah, Three Stooges fails to add fresh laugh to the Stooges' inestimable, inestimable, inestimable. There you go. Cinematic legacy, which is a fair criticism, but I don't think that means the movie's bad. Well, first of all, you're dealing with the Stooges. Come yeah. on, they, they, like they, they invented they that shtick. What are you going to do? They, like, well, a, they invented that shtick. B, this isn't like high comedy. This isn't like the intellect comedy. It was all always pratfalls. Yeah, well timed. These guys are very talented. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to disparage the Stooges themselves, but the Stooges are dumb. Yeah, <laughs> That's no, there dumb was, humor. It was, it was. It was not mm-hmm. exactly intellectual humor. It was there just to be violent and there, silly. And- there is a scene in the Three Stooges movie where they're just beating each other up on a stage and it is just as sublimely choreographed as anything from the Step Up movies. <laughs> You're the it only person so, who would use that as a compliment and I love that. It's it's great. Yeah. It's great. Watch the Three Stooges movie is my point. And yeah, I was really and I was surprised by the Three Stooges movie. Sometimes you're blindsided by something you think you're going to hate. I thought I was going to loathe Father of the Pride. Exactly. And I end up kind of enjoying it and kind of wishing we had a little bit more. Exactly. Even we, if it just lasted three or f- even four seasons. That would have been a lot every, for a show like Every this. critic needs to... I mean, yeah, you all have our concerns. There are filmmakers whose work we haven't liked before or mm-hmm. a trailer that just looks bad. But yeah. when the lights go down, I, I all of that goes under, away. I liked Six Underground. The, I don't remember the, that the, movie. The new Michael Bay film. That's oh, on yeah, Netflix. yeah, yeah. I still haven't seen that. I hate Michael Bay movies, yeah. but I like that one. Yeah. So, you know. We have to be honest. We just have to deal with whatever's in front of us. And if it's good, awesome. <laughs> I would much prefer that. Yeah, yeah. I remember I, I, remember I would sitting rather a, be pleasantly surprised by something I think I'm going to hate. I remember I was sitting in a theater, and I liked Man of Steel. And I'm sitting in there for Batman v Superman. And I'm just like, I'd heard maybe it wasn't good. But I'm like, I want it to be great. This is Batman versus Superman. Mm-hmm. And it just slowly dawning on me that I'm not actually watching a good movie and it's just like oh shit <laughs> so it works both ways like and slowly realizing it's pretty obvious from the start for me but it was pretty quick no, I, of I, course I figured I, it out also, about 10-15 minutes I in. also hated Man of Steel so well, I there you go. was coming at it at a slightly different angle anyway every movie gets an equal chance every show gets an equal mm-hmm. chance and yeah follow the bright it's cute. Check it out. Uh, next time on Cancel Too Soon. Uh, and again, we're going to pick up the pace. We're, we're, we're ba- back. Back on a regular we schedule. We back. apologize for the, uh, that, the well, length of our hiatus. We, we were know. taking a short break for the holidays uh, just to sort of give us a break for the holidays so we could be with our families. And it just mm-hmm. ended up going on a little longer than we intended. We meant to have this episode out last week. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, we're back. And next time, we will be back with a show... With a premise that just makes me laugh, <laughs> even though it's a serious, even though it's a serious like action show, it just it I, I can't like read the premise of the show without going, oh come on. <laughs> so uh, it is a show star uh, called Agent X that aired in 2015, and it stars Sharon Stone as the United States Vice President. Now that is not funny in and of itself. Sharon Stone is a great actor. Here's the premise. I'm reading this off of Wikipedia. 
After becoming United States Vice President, Natalie Maccabee, played by Sharon Stone, is informed that there is a secret paragraph in the U.S. Constitution creating a special agent to help protect the country in times of crisis under the instruction of the Vice President. You'd think we would have read that document by now. You'd think someone you know would have found that. You know what? I, I, I've that, read it. <laughs> yeah. No, it's on it's on the back next to that map oh, next to the, the treasure. The, the hidden map. <laughs> gonna steal the Declaration of Independence. Anyway, Sharon Stone is the vice president and how, like how the greatest been... secret agent in the world is only mm. her responsibility. That's like ill, that's <laughs> all the vice president does. So it's Agent X and we're gonna be doing our next cancel agent too soon X. and I can't wait. How have there not been like 12 National Treasure movies. You'd think. I, I think mean, they just crank those things out on a yearly basis. They're there fun. Two. They're fun. I like them. Mm. The second one's kind of vapor. I don't remember, but I remember liking it fine. Mm. Like, I, I want a sweepstakes over the second one, so I'm very fond of it. I want to find out that, like, the Grand Canyon is, like, a rift that, like, let out a monster or something, and so they have to uh, close so, it. No, it has to be has to be more American history. Well, that is America. It's the Grand Canyon. Yeah, but specific, it's specific, it's like the specifically like Revolutionary War times, like the, those okay. those figures and characters and icons. Okay, well, what, so there has, to be, there has like, to be what, a never... monster in in some sort of American land like b- structure, like a, a mm-hmm. the, the Washington Monument has a monster. I, I would I would like to see something with the with Mount Rushmore. I think uh, oh, North, there you go. I think North by Northwest has had like a monopoly on Mount Rushmore in mm. terms of movies long enough. I think yeah. it's it's okay to do another one now. I've, I've seen monsters crush it or like the Martians mm. recarved it in Mars yeah. attacks, but I actually want to like crawl wanna, up Lincoln's nose and find out that there's that, treasure up his nose or something, something like that. What I want to see is I want the I want those presidents to get up. <laughs> they just stand up out of the mountain. It turns out they're 900 foot behemoths and they start stomping across the the countryside. I wrote a script like that once. <laughs> When I was eight. It was the return of the Robo Presidents. No, it was like the ninth sequel I had planned to this very silly series of action movies. And we will not discuss it further. Uh, anyway. Is this just something you wrote in the margins of your notes in geometry class? No, or? it was for... I, did you actually is, write the script? I wrote an action comedy screenplay for my final project in uh, when I was uh, majoring in screenwriting. Okay. And it was very broad. Okay. And at some point, I was going to expand it and make it sillier with each installment. Okay. To the extent that finally there yeah, was an army of robo presidents. <laughs> and like like Abraham Lincoln's hat had like a go go gadget stuff in it. Oh my and God. Taft was just like Godzilla sized. <laughs> like I could it's hard to come up with like, you know what is Polk's superpower? Like how do you make fun of Polk? I don't know. But like I had a bunch. I can't remember them all now. <laughs> yeah, he he uh, got the Oregon Territory. Okay. Polk did. Okay. Mm. He, cool. Uh, he didn't seek a second term. Uh, no, 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 no. I know. <laughs> I don't I know, know a lot about Polk. I know. I know a little bit about Polk. I just right. don't know what you can like turn into. Like, like Van Buren, you could do the sideburns or something, and maybe they're like razor sharp. What do you? Polk doesn't really have a shtick. Like Grover Cleveland, there are two of them. Oh, there you go. <laughs> like that one makes sense. <laughs> So stand back! I'm Willoughby Harry Henry Harrison. Like ah. Herbert Hoover actually has like suction devices, but they suck up all the money because <laughs> oh he let us into the Great Depression. Like there you go. Anyway, we got to move on. Uh, so that is it for Cancel Too Soon. Thank you everybody for listening. You missed this show so much, and so did I. Um, anyway, thank you for joining us. Next week, uh, next week we'll be back with Agent X. 
Um, and uh, yeah, you can email us, letters at criticallyacclaimed.net, and we'll read your uh, emails if we have time. We get a ton. We can read as many as we can on our podcast. We've got mail right here at the Critically mm-hmm. Acclaimed Network. Uh, we also have the show Critically Acclaimed with all of our movie reviews right here on the Critically Acclaimed Network. Um, and uh, we've got the Iron List, which we just recently put out, and it's got all of our picks for the best schlocky movies from January. Like mm-hmm. January's movie where they release a ton of like stuff that the studios think is bad, but sometimes they're actually good. And so we highlighted the ones we really loved from throughout the many years. Um, and uh, pretty soon we are going to have a new podcast, which we still haven't 100% decided on the name of, mm-hmm. in which we are going to every week look at a different movie that inspired Star Wars. And then once we run out of movies for Star Wars, we'll do another movie. But uh, <laughs> this, yeah, this, this is not an, uh, an unlimited series, and it's yeah. going to be a finite series. Yeah. We're going to we haven't put a cap on it, but probably yeah. like 20, 25 about episodes. 20, 20 or, or 25 episodes, and we'll be done because yeah. we don't need everything to be indefinite. Right, right, right. I and mean, we could go on, but like we need to do anyway. We have an idea for a Star Wars podcast, and we're doing it. So we hope you like it. And um, yeah, and of course, uh, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, we have a bunch of exclusive content up there, uh, including bonus podcasts. Uh, we're doing a Google Hangout again real soon for people at our top tier. Um, and uh, and uh, more besides. So thank you, everybody, for subscribing. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. If you can't afford to subscribe, leave us a review. Tell a friend. Um, just uh, Spread the word. Anything you can do would be really appreciative. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Together we are at Critic Acclaim. And uh, that's a wrap. We'll see you next season.